0: If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano,
1: Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You just found the most downloaded fitness, health, and entertainment podcast in the world. This is Mind Pump. Right? In today's episode, we interviewed a female fitness mogul, an icon, Shalene uh, Johnson. Very, very smart woman. Um, at one point had the top infomercial for fitness uh, in the world. She's been in the fitness industry for a very long time, the gym industry, then the gym uh, fitness business industry, selling fitness programs online. She works with coaches and trainers and people trying to build their business. She's uh, no shit. She's straightforward, honest, amazing. We loved her. Actually, one of our favorite interviews. We know you're going to enjoy this episode. Now, this episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Viori. This is athleisure wear that lasts a long time, looks amazing, and is extremely comfortable. In fact, these days you probably already know all about Viori. So go through our link and get a massive discount. Go to VioriClothing.com forward slash Mind Pump and get 20% off your first order. We're also running a huge sale this month on two workout programs. The first one is MAPS Anabolic. The second one is MAPS Split. They're both 50% off. If you're interested, just go to MAPSFitnessProducts.com and use the code april Fifty. For the discount all right here comes the show i want to go back to did you start working in the gym is that your first is that how you got in the fitness industry where you started working in the gym
2: yeah i mean it wasn't i was an entrepreneur like i owned a car lot at michigan state that's how i put myself through school so i was just like kind of a hustler someone who was always figuring out like oh there's a problem to solve and I'll solve it and then make some money. I
1: heard it. you talking about this on another podcast. I was yeah. so impressed. You started yeah. learning how to, I mean, Flip you're, cars. your business acumen is incredible. You started flipping cars in high school?
2: Yeah. You know, once my parents said, we don't have money for you to go to college, but I'm sure you'll figure out a way. We can help you figure out a way to make money to do it. It was my dad's idea to start going to uh, car auctions at like age 14, 15. What? Yeah. And so I bought my first car. It was a... El Camino, orange from the state of Michigan. And I took it to Earl Scheib, had it painted for 99 bucks, cleaned it, you know, all the, so it looked beautiful and then resold it and made a couple thousand dollars. And I'm like, this is a thing. And so wow. then I started flipping cars. And that you did that for, through, the, uh, through? Through college. Um, okay. Yeah, through college. And I started a business at Michigan State called the All Michigan Auto Swap Meet. And- um, that's what I did. Yeah. How did what you was, find customers?
3: What also? was the progression? Yeah. What was the progression like? Did you, you started flipping one at a time and then you start doing two? Like
2: how did that you was like, scale you know, it? I, mm-hmm. I was, it was such a pain in the butt to sell a car privately. So you have to schedule an appointment for someone to come and look at it. I'm a, you know, 19 year old girl at, in a college town and I have people, grown men coming, sure. you know, and there's a cash exchange and sometimes they wouldn't show up. And I know like other people have to be dealing with this too. So I had this idea, okay, I'm going to rent a piece of land from the state. That's got to be cheap, just a piece of grass. And I'm going to call one by one, every single person who's selling their car and say, hey, let's just all organize on Saturday to show up at the same place and I'll run an ad and we'll get everyone who's looking for a used car to show up at the same place. I'll just take a tiny little cut, but then you don't have to do this all the time. And, I had, and then I called the Lansing State Journal and they did a story on it and it worked out well. Brilliant!
3: Wow. Yeah, Thanks. that's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Mom, Dad,
2: entrepreneurs were the comfort- my dad. Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely.
1: Wow! And yeah. so, and I, now you talk a lot about having ADD and all that stuff. Is did that play? It like was was that like become a strength? Because when I I also uh, mm. have ADD, and um, when you read about people uh, with ADD, we tend to be entrepreneurs. We tend to like to do sales. Yeah. yeah. Was that just was was it part of your like looking back? Where like oh this this was my superpower for sure.
2: Well. And also my Achilles heel, you know, my dad has extreme ADHD too. So my issue for the first, I don't know, you know, 25, 30 years of my life was every idea is a good idea. Let's do them all at once and (laughs) and not finish any of them all the way. So, and let's not focus on just one, let's do all of them because one of them is going to pop. And that's kind of how I ended up in fitness. I was, um, you know, doing the cars. I was working as a paralegal. I was selling eBooks online. I was doing personal training. I was doing fitness. I was taking the LSAT to become a lawyer, like all the things. And I was listening to an interview and it was uh, a gentleman talking about how he had been fired from his job and he took out a full page ad with all of the things that he could do. I think he was a radio host. And he took out this full page ad of like, you know, he, he could do sales. He could do just every Piece of marketing, he could do voiceover, all these things, and put his address in there. And people he thought would send him invitations to apply for their jobs, whatever. And he got one letter from a person that on a blank piece of paper folded up in the middle of it was just one word, and it was focus. Mm. And I thought, I know how to do everything. Like I feel like I can do anything. Just show me how and I'll do it. But I do not know how to focus. And so it was in that moment that I thought, what if I just focused on an opportunity and put all these other things away? And at the time, I, it was fitness. And so I just decided I'm going to go all in like for a couple of years and just see what happens.
1: Okay. So why did you pick fitness? Because when you look at all these other industries, yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't seem like an obvious one. It's not one. an obvious moneymaker. Not at all. Making money in fitness, I tell people this all the time. Like you want to yeah. make a lot of money, fitness is yeah. probably not the industry to get into. Yeah. Uh, why did you pick fitness, uh, you know, over selling cars, over paralegal, over all these yeah. other industries and businesses where you know money would have been much easier?
2: I saw a need, so I was teaching fitness classes for Family Fitness, twenty four hour fitness at the time, and I I was like, this is such a money making, a losing proposition. You spend hours and hours and hours creating these workouts. You're paid less than minimum wage. You've got to come up with the music, the choreography. And I remembered that my mom taught jazzercise in the 70s. And I'm like, that model was amazing. Mm. They just shipped you the music, the choreography, mm-hmm. everything. You just plugged in your personality. And I'm like, what if I did something like that? Like, because I've got this kickboxing format that people are like, how are you doing this? And so I, it was just opportunity. It wasn't the thing I was the most passionate about. I was thinking in terms of an entrepreneurial pursuit. Like there is some, there's a strong need in the market.
1: Now, people now hearing this uh, probably don't realize that this was a big transition in the fitness space because, so this was, when was this, the 80s? Late 80s, early no, 90s? No, this would
2: be the um, 90s.
1: 90s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. So back then, there, now when you go take group classes, especially in gym, in gym chains, it's a structured format. It's owned by like, Les, Les Mills owns mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. classes. They give you the music, the format. You just show up, yeah. you're yeah. certified and you teach it. But back then- you as the instructor had to do all that. Everything. And so you looked at it and you said, what if I designed, So and let me get this right. You said, what if I designed or create something that then people can franchise or purchase yeah. and just plug in?
2: Yes, paint by numbers. Okay, and what was it that you created? I call, It was called Turbo Kick. And I was in all six hundred twenty four fitness clubs like that because great timing. Mm. Um, it was when Tai Bo was the hot impression. Yes. I remember that. So wow. I really kind of capitalized on it, and mm. um, in fact, I called it Tai Box at first, and I got a cease and desist. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> so then we called it Turbo Kick, and um, which was also a, you know a crazy story how we came up with that name, but it was. Um, it was solving a need for 24 hour fitness because people were coming into the gyms and droves and saying, do you have this Tybo? I want to do Tybo. And, you know, Billy hadn't licensed something at that point. So it was just really easy for me to solve that problem for 24 hour fitness. And then we had, you know, tens of thousands of customers who are instructors and they were on a monthly continuity. Wow. Take me
4: through that, that pitch. Like, so you come up with the idea And now you're you're trying to bring into like a corporation like 24 hour fitness like who are you talking to and like what is that did you talk to Mark Masteroff directly or was it
2: yes sure did yep Um, at the time it was Donna Myers yeah and yeah and Mark Masteroff and it was it was just really they just there was nothing available Hmm. and every single general manager was like we need Taibo in these gyms. And so, you know, I have a debt of gratitude to Billy because even though the programs are different, it was kickboxing. Yeah, And because I had um, a lot of experience in Group X, I could create a format that had the proper warm up, the proper cool down, the right beats per minute, all the things that instructors needed. So they, all they had to do is plug in there and it was free to the clubs. So yeah. I did not license it to 24 Hour Fitness. How did you so, get? Paid? Yeah, how did you wow. get paid? Yeah, by the instructors. So the instructors were on a continuity program. So they'd
1: get certified, and then in order to maintain their certification, they would oh, pay you. And if they wanted to be, if they wanted to teach these highly popular classes, they had to continue to pay you.
2: Yes, they got on a, a monthly um, a monthly program. So every month they would get a new um, set of workouts. So it was fifty dollars oh. and. You know, we would just... getting
1: 50 bucks a month from each instructor yes. teaching. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. What? Holy Smart. cow. Yeah. So <laughs> let me... Okay, so let's go back for a second because... Uh, so
2: the gloves loved us. We didn't cost them anything. Oh, yeah. And then Les Mills was, you know, licensing at the time. Instant ad value. And I mean, it was like David and Goliath. It, it was so hard to compete with them because they had like all the you know, money behind their marketing.
1: Did you realize how brilliant this was when you did it? Or were you like, uh, this sounds like a good idea and now looking back, well, because you're right, the gyms paid nothing. Right. So mm-hmm. if I'm master off and I have Le- Le- Les Mills where I'm going to pay them, you oh, know, I thousands, thousands do. of dollars and then I got you and you're like, you yeah. don't have to pay me nothing but right. your instructors want this, they'll pay me. Yeah. I mean, did you realize like how-
2: I don't know, back and forth, I used to think like, God, I'm so, I'm so dumb that we didn't license it to him because I knew what Les Mills was making, yes. you know? Um, but also it really endeared me to the culture of fitness instructors. Yeah. I was one of them. I understood and um, I really worked closely with them. And, um, you know, in, in the long run, you can't have any regrets.
1: So I started at 24 Hour Fitness in 1997. This was right, this is right after they merged with. They were Nautilus, and they merged with Ray Wilson's Family Fitness mm-hmm. to become 24 Hour Fitness. Yeah, you started with Ray Wilson's Family Fitness. Correct. Okay, a lot of people don't know this, but Ray Wilson, his, they were kind of the first, some of the first people to introduce uh, paying through EFT. I know uh, Mark Masteroff uh, really implemented that they were the first ones to really create like the business, the gym business. Whereas before that it was like meatheads that own gyms. They didn't yes, really make a lot yeah, of money. Yeah. What was the environment like in those? Cause it must've been so, I hear stories, you know, and I'm such a student of the, gym industry. I hear stories about it. It must've been an amazing time.
2: Well, I was kind of in that transition. So it was only family fitness for a li- very okay. few years. And then it was right. Still though, because even 24. You're you're 20, yeah. early
3: 24 was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was crazy.
2: I mean, the things that, the amount of hours I remember putting in and just, um, you just did it cause you loved it, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, then I was also building this business at the same time and teaching these fitness classes. And, um, it was, it was just a wild time. Like it, Group X was the hub of the gym then. Yes, it was. You know, mm-hmm. and now we're seeing people like move into the weight room, and we're seeing Group X is dwindling. I mean, frankly, it is. And, and there's, I think, there's more knowledge now about uh, the tons and tons and tons of cardio, yeah. and it's just a, it's a little less popular. I
1: have I, so I have a, a speculation on that. I'd love your opinion on um, the reason why. I think Group X was the hub at the time was because it was the way, if you look at consumer bases, women are a much larger consumer base than men. And gyms had to figure out how can we tap into this incredible consumer base because if we continue to just appeal to men, we're never going to grow as a mm. business. And Group X is what did it. Yeah. Now women are understanding the benefits of strength training. So now that's why it's shifting. But I think that's why Group X was such a powerful draw in those days because it attracted this consumer base that would make you a successful business. Am am I on point? I think
2: so. And also I think the music and community. So, you know, I think guys tend to go to the gym by themselves. um, And, you know, they, it's just, kind of a solo pursuit and women want community. They want to have fun. They want to talk before. They want to talk after. They want to, and I'm I'm overgeneralizing, but like, and it's the music and, you know, for me, when I created my program, I didn't, my degree is justice, morality, and constitutional democracy. I know nothing about fitness, you know, so I ended up there because it was an opportunity and I created this workout based on watching cheer competitions on ESPN and like when they would do like air jacks and they would be like, like, and I was like, oh, God, that would just, what if you just walked around and every time you punched, there was a sound effect. (laughs) So I learned to master the music and edit all the music myself. And I would put in sound effects where you did certain movements and it just did something to people on uh, an emotional level. It was such a trip. Was anybody else doing this at the time? Cheer competitions. No, just that, just, just. Wow! Time,
3: yeah. What was the what was the peak of Turbo Kick financially? What did it reach, and how long did it take you to get there?
2: <sighs> I, 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 let's see. So we sold, I think, in 2010 to Beachbody um, because we were kind of competing against each other. Turbo is that, is that how you got into Beachbody? Yes. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. That. So with, so I think my husband would have to quote me on numbers, I'm so bad at remembering them, but I I would think we had like 60,000 instructors on a continuity program, um, or we had certified all, I don't know, every state in the United States, probably 50 different countries. um, We had people who were teaching the format to instructors all over the country. So it would, and I had a clothing company that went along with it. Um, It was big and I was running that and all of these instructors didn't know who I were was really, you know what I mean? Like their students didn't know who I was, mm. but they would help their students to lose massive amounts of weight and they would send me their stories and their before and after photos. And to be inspired, I would keep all of those and I kept them in this big, giant notebook, all their before and after photos and their stories. Wow. Um, the f- interesting piece though is that we really, I had no idea how much we were making because at the time my husband, who's now completely recovered, had a gambling addiction. Oh, sports works, gambling? Like, yeah. Yeah. You. <laughs> <laughs> Which works perfectly if you're married to someone who has a work addiction, you know? <laughs> so we both had our addictions. Um, but anyways, uh, I had this book and when Taibo had run its course, all the infomercial companies started looking for the next fitness thing. So they started reaching out to me and I would show up with this book and they'd be like, they couldn't believe it. it I didn't realize that it was like liquid gold. They that's what most infomercial companies, people don't know this, but they create a program and then they spend about nine months getting, or six months at least, getting incredible before and after stories. Well, so I had this book that would save them a year of production wow. and probably a million dollars. And, um, and yet I didn't know any of these people. I didn't help them lose weight, but my programs had. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I got introduced to all the big infomercial companies. Um, at the time. So then I started doing infomercials at the same time as running uh, our businesses and about killed myself. Did you, well, okay, uh, let's go there. Um, what do you mean? It was just just, um, I think now, obviously looking back in hindsight, you feel like whatever opportunity is coming your way, you better take it. You better cook while the pan's hot, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we took every single opportunity without saying, okay, this is a better one. Let's put this aside, Mm. you know? And I didn't know how long the infomercial stuff was going to run. So I didn't want to do anything with our company. And I had built this thing from the ground up and it just meant so much to us to take care of these instructors. So I had Turbo Jam, which was my infomercial. And then I had Turbo Kick, which was our program. And then we were all bidding on my name and those terms, you know, for SEO. So we're constantly fighting against each other uh in these businesses that related but also didn't Mm. do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i mean they they were very related but it was a lot of i I never slept i only worked out um and consumer fitness then really took a toll on my um mental health Mm. for me is it a bad taste in your mouth with the (laughs) the space yeah for sure did you
3: consider leaving it
2: Oh, I did. Oh. Yeah, I absolutely did.
3: Yeah. Okay. What yeah. did you do then? What did you, what was the transit?
2: You know, it was, there, there was, there was a moment when I was on camera and, and there was a lot leading up to this. It's just, and and this is just the industry. And I was in the industry too, right? Like, so we were making fitness videos too. And mm-hmm. so I'm not faulting any one company or, but it was the industry at the time. It was the leaner and smaller you were the more marketable you were right. like i remember my first um first time i showed up for or was preparing to do my very first consumer photo what do you call it photo shoot mm-hmm. and they uh the producer had emailed me instructions on how to cut weight and cut water before the shoot and i was like i never i I'd, I taught fitness classes, but I was never in like the competition world. I didn't know anything about this. So I'm like, cut weight and cut water. You know, so it's giving you this message, like you need to do something, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of a trip. And then I just remember showing up to the, to review the photos. I just remembered this like last night to review the photos. And there were two sets. And in one, one of them, I looked really good. And in the other one, I was like, "Uh." and I'm like, what are these? The ones where I looked heavier, more like myself. And they're like, oh, we just, don't worry about that. We just thought that would be funny to show you those. And I was like... Funny. Funny. And I literally didn't put it together until last night that that was probably... I was looking at the photoshopped and the unphotoshopped, you know? Because then later, I had a lot of experiences where I'd be like, this is so photoshopped. This does not look like me. Mm -hmm. You know? And just comments, um, feedback, it was rough.
1: This is the challenge I tell people who enter into the space who use their bodies or their appearance to sell products. You eventually run into this challenge. Um, and most of us enter into the fitness space because we have some kind of struggles with body image. Anyway, I was like this, I, I, we started this, I was much older, felt like I had processed all my stuff. I remember we put up a video and there was some comments like this guy doesn't even look like he works out. And I remember uh, being like, oh, they're yeah. it's surfacing again. Yeah. So um, it could be a really tough space yes. um, from that standpoint. You know? It
2: absolutely is. And, you know, that was the messaging. There was a time when, um, I mean, God, there's so many things I could tell you. So many things that were just incredibly unhealthy. And I had never dieted. And I'd never had body images because my mom doesn't have any body images. I swear. I never heard her talk about her weight. Oh, that's great. Anything. Uh, until I started getting into consumer workouts. And then everything like, it would be, even if it was a compliment, they would say, uh, a cameraman would say, you know, I I like working with you because you look normal. Like oh, you don't, wow. you don't look, I love that you don't look like a fitness person. It's so cool. Wow. And you're like, how do I process this? Or, you know, the person who's like, um, so on camera, we're seeing something. Um, so we're going to have you a little bit more covered up. And you're like, what are you seeing? Like, I'm a human. <laughs> what mm-hmm. do you, like, mm-hmm. what? It was just you know, all the time, every single shoot, every single photo shoot, and the messaging was always, you know, if you can get leaner and tighter things, this program's, one time, one time I sent in my recordings, these are the videos we're gonna film next week. So I sent them the rough versions of me filming them in my home gym, so I could see the routines. And they come back and I get a message and they said, we've got this, gr- we've got a great idea. We could use this footage as your before footage <laughs> and we can delay the shoot and then come back and you could be like the after story. I'm like, oh, no, but you know, it just, it just one thing after another. And then there was a time where my husband actually got a phone call and they said, "You know, we don't don't really do, don't want to hurt Shelene's feelings, but we really, for this next series, we need her to get leaner and smaller uh, for this next series. Wow, uh, And we just don't know if if there's a future, really, if that's not going to happen,
3: so what's really crazy about your story is that we talk on the show a lot about um our insecurities and what led us to fitness. So yes. that's actually what drove me to the gym. So you're kind uh, of like, the reverse of this. It's kind of crazy to hear. Most people, I feel like you
1: started getting like some of this after you got it. Right. Right. Most people hate their
3: body. Don't like the way they look. They go to the gym in pursuit to change something about themselves driven by an insecurity, which we talk about all the time, but you're probably the first story that I've actually heard somebody who was in the industry for quite some time. And then it seemed like it Uh, reared its head on you and probably created insecurities,
2: insecurities and orthorexia. Um, Mm. And just feeling super duper inauthentic. So when my husband got that call that I needed to get smaller, lose weight, get leaner, get tighter for this next series, or there wasn't going to be another series, um, I was I was really embarrassed because I never felt like I belonged in the fitness industry anyways. You know, we talk about imposter syndrome, mm. but like, I always felt like someone's going to say like, oh, you guys, we just found out she doesn't know anything about fitness. <laughs> she's, she's a car salesman. You know what I mean? So... When I, uh, in the back of my head, that message would be like, see, they they know you don't belong mm. here. But so when he got that message, I was like, you know, there's so much riding on this. I have to do this. So I'm going to have to go harder. I'm just going to have to exercise harder. So because we were running the business and doing these consumer workouts at the time, I probably spent five or six years, maybe more, getting less than four hours of sleep a night. Wow. And uh, exercising, you know, three hours a day easily. Oh my gosh! Yeah, e- easily three hours a day, if not more. Wow. And then when I got the message that you needed to, this you need before. to get smaller. This is before. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. By the way, when they wanted me to be, they suggest I be a before image. I was um, about seventeen percent body fat, and um, you know, under one hundred and fifteen pounds. And do, do you think that? Well, I mean,
1: I, I think I know the answer to this, but do you think that the fitness industry has done as much harm as it's done good with people because of how we portray health and how we tend to sell it, uh, you know, to people watching?
2: It's the marketing of it. And I think social media has made it a hundred times worse, yeah. you know, so, so and, and the photoshopping. And, you know, I think what we say is health is is a a look. It's an image. So when I lost all the weight, I lost another probably like five or six pounds, which when you're five, two is a lot, you know, and I was already very small. So I show up on the set. I'm 11% body fat. I'm, uh, I, I don't like to save my weight. Cause I think that can trigger people, mm-hmm. but I was really low and I had been sustaining on nothing like chemicals, basically, you know, uh, protein chemicals and no, no real food exercising for at least four hours a day, at least. And not drinking water. I'm just all the things to just get as small as possible. And I feel like I'm going to faint. And I feel, I know I can't sustain this. I know I'm killing myself. I know that I'm constantly getting injured. Everything hurts. I can't think straight. I'm irritable. I'm, I don't have the same personality. I I feel like I'm my heaviest, which is so weird. Mm. And I walk in on set and everyone's like, girl, you have never looked better. Wow. You and and all the social media, everything was like hashtag mm. body goals. What are you doing? Is it this workout? You know, everyone wants to know what is the thing? The thing is I'm starving myself and exercising for hours and hours and hours. And now I'm on camera and I'm looking into a lens and I know who I'm talking to. Like I always think about the person I'm talking to at home. I'm gonna get upset. And I'm saying, you can get these results in 30 minutes a day. Mm. And eat delicious food. And I'm like, I can't. Maybe someone else can. Where, how did I get here? Mm-hmm. How did I get here? This is a lie. What I'm saying is a lie. I, and it, I didn't formally leave, but when I, I literally, those are the words that came out of my mouth when I said, I have to, I have to turn this all around. I have to leave. Was there a moment? Was that the moment? Yeah. Mm. That was the moment. Um, Of course, I didn't formally leave, but mentally I was done, that Mm -hmm. was it. And I later did some uh, infomercials where it was just me and I filmed the whole thing on my iPhone uh, on the wrong setting, not even 1040 and you know, for my Pio infomercial and that did really well, but I was completely in control. There was no one telling me what to do, no one telling me what to weigh, no, one, no cameraman there, no hair and makeup, no one putting clothes on me and telling me that I look heavy in them. You know, just just me, I'll do it if it's just me and I get to just talk to her, you mm-hmm. know? But it was, um, I have a lot of guilt about it because I, I felt like I let a lot of people and I had a responsibility to wake up sooner
1: yeah I think wow. you should Yeah, I think you you should definitely forgive yourself look we we were trainers for we talked about for this decades all the time. Mm. probably the first 10 years I trained people I was terrible yeah like terrible <laughs> yeah. I mean I trained people wrong too much intensity yeah I treated people like robots, like they were sure. all fitness fanatics. Just do what I tell you. If you don't, you're lazy. Yeah. Um, I remember I tell this one story I, I and I say it so often partially because it's a good story. I think it conveys what I'm talking about, but also because I hope and pray she listens to this because mm-hmm. I really feel bad. This woman, I had this like what I call this come to Jesus talk with her and I I basically called her out for lying on her food tracking and she's not telling me, and she's, she left crying and I felt so accomplished. Like, yeah, I told her and she never came back and she probably never try it again and that was all my fault Mm. so i think a lot of us who've been doing this for a long time go through that because you you do this the wrong way and then eventually come out the other end and go hold on a second there's a different way to do this i do think that that extreme has caused an opposite and extreme reaction which now is this distorted body positivity movement Mm, mm -hmm. that's become so distorted where it's like um trying to lose weight is fat shaming yeah Mm -hmm. and it's you know you know health at any size type of deal and i understand where it came from but I feel like that's like the, it's also an ex, extreme and wrong. It's just on the other end. And it's a reaction to, you know, kind of how the fitness space has been for so long.
2: And everything extreme is so polarizing, whether it's politics or fitness or totally. nutrition. Like, and, and I just, I want no part of anything that's that extreme in any of those realms. You know, like totally. I just, uh, I've learned that the industry, health and fitness, has really conditioned people to believe you won't get it right. Mm. you need someone else to tell you, I don't care if you're a neuroscientist, Mm -hmm. you don't know how to eat or work out. Mm -hmm. You need someone who's going to put a program together for you. And if you're not following someone else's program, you've fallen off the wagon and you don't know what you're doing. So at what point did you, I remember when I figured this out, uh, I remember,
1: uh, I think I, I, I heard this and then it clicked. And then this is when things started to change for me as a trainer. I used to think you had to, you know, lose weight to get happy. And then I realized you get happy and then you lose weight. What, when did that happen for you? Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh my god. So I don't. Ever since that happened, I don't weigh myself. I have no idea. And um, I got weighed this week because I had to go to the doctor. And I was like, oh, I'm two pounds heavier than I was. I've got so much more muscle. I like. I like my body now. I'm. I cannot believe the amount of time I wasted. The amount of. <sighs> joy pure joy from food and friends and just the amount of time i wasted sorry no offense meal prepping and so worried about skipping my third workout for the day and it's just crazy how much life i missed out on because i was so consumed by i can't miss it i've got to do more work i got to do more cardio i've got to do another workout and i can't eat that and it's just so much so much joy and my body, composition. Everything is better now because I don't worry about it, mm. you know?
1: It's funny, too, because the people that get all the attention, especially with social media now, that get the attention, they're the ones that, that of course, their messages are what go viral. And they're communicating this message of, like, beast mode, never miss a day, uh, mm. food is just fuel, um, you know, basically uh, fanatics and unhealthy yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Mm because they look a particular way they're the ones that are getting the message out and it's really hard to counter that it's like it's hard to beat that message with it's like oh you lose 30 pounds in 30 days by doing and we're like no it's gonna take you like two years and you got to change your relationship with food and you know you gotta you gotta you know like yourself more like it's
4: hard to beat that how do we market the right way how do we make it sexy this is a conundrum
2: I don't have that answer I really don't um I don't purposely look at any of that stuff. It's still triggering for me online. Um, it, and I can see, I know when that fitness person is in it, they're in orthorexia, uh, yeah. they're mm-hmm. in a state They're they, I, and I can just see it and I feel sorry for them. I want to reach out to them. I want to let them know like, man, you, it's a, it's a scary place to be in where you are marketing your body. Mm-hmm. I mean, I shouldn't say that where what you're marketing is dependent upon your physique. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, that's a oh, pretty scary place. It's to It's a very scary, yeah. it's
3: a, uh, it's an inevitable trap. Like you're going to crash at one point. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we started this, that was one of the things that obviously if you go and look on our mind pump media, I, all of our social media, you don't see that of any of us none of us use our body as it because none of us, we all knew that at one point we're all going to be 45, 50 kids. Other things are going to be more important. I'm not going to want to have to walk around with 5% body fat just to sell programs or have a business. And so we, I think we knew that going in. And so when I see this, I see people that have built their brand around themselves and their body like that. I go like, man, even if you're doing
2: well right now, it's inevitable
3: that, you know, life happens. Mm
2: -hmm. Life happens. Yeah. And life should happen and life is good. and, and, you know, the message, like, even I think about the impact I had on my kids, right? Like, so my daughter's 23 now, and you know, she's suffered from an eating disorder in high school. Why wouldn't she? Here's her mom who gets super excited anytime she finds someone who's lost a lot of weight. Mm. So I'm always celebrating, like, oh, look at this mm. person, their transformation. Mm-hmm. Wow. You get all a mom's attention. Yeah. When- you know, I mean, that was a subliminal message. And- you can't, no matter how much you try to hide it from your kids, I, I didn't want either of my kids to know how much I was exercising, how little I was eating, but they they see it. Yeah. You sure. Know? So, you can't hide that. No, you can't hide that. No. And, you know, the, if you hear the whole conversation about the almond mom. No. no. Oh, it's just, it's this trend that started from um, one of the Hadid, you know, the two Hadid models, the girls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, their mom was on a uh, reality TV show, Housewives of Beverly Hills. Okay. And there's a moment where one of the models is calling in and she's like on a shoot and she's like, mom, I feel so weak. I'm going to faint. I haven't eaten anything. And her mother says, honey, have a couple of almonds. Chew them really well. Wow. You'll be fine. And so now that's kind of the joke is the almond mom. Wow. But, you know, a lot of us in, those, in the 2000s, parents and moms, you know, we were- almond moms, So it's like, well, just grab a handful of almonds. You know, you don't really need that. Like we kind of would try, you try to hide it with, um, well, that's going to make you feel sluggish and slow, but your kids realize what you're, it's just so much emphasis on good and bad food. And
1: and more so it's what they observe, uh, how you talk about yourself, uh, you know, and how you are with yourself. I think that has even a, a much larger impact because it's, um, you don't realize it and you're, yeah. you're, you're talking about yourself and, oh my God, I can't wear this and I don't look good. And you know, your kids hear that yeah. and that can make it uh, really hard for them because they start to internalize how it. How old were they when you were going through that?
2: F- their entire childhood, you know, oh, okay. really. So. It's, it's interesting because um,
1: we celebrate uh, fitness for the side effects that it produces. The side effects are how you look. The real effects are how you feel. Right. So uh, and, and you know you sell and because we sell it through the side effects, that's what everybody thinks is the main effect. Um, and the truth is, is uh, if you th- if you think that's the main effect, if you confuse that as the main effect, you will eventually lose all of them. Yeah. Because your health declines, you feel crappy, you don't yeah. look good. Yeah. You know what the irony of this is, and I, I'm sure you've uh, you, you've experienced this as well. You, you, people can look a particular way in, in a picture, mm-hmm. but when you meet them in person, I've been to enough. Fitness competitions and figure shows and whatever you meet someone in person they don't look healthy. No, they don't that's even look right. good.
2: That's absolutely right. The bags under the eyes, the yeah. super hollowing of the face, and bad skin. And oh, just, yeah. All, yeah, hair, all mm-hmm. those things, and eyes. It is. It's sad to me that we take things to such extremes. And again, like people constantly asking for six pack abs, it's like, mm-hmm. but do you actually know what's involved? For a woman specifically, like what that's, no one cares or asks. What is that going to do to my hormones? What if I stop getting my period? What is that going to do to my bone density? Like we just, we just have a look and we want that, you know. And I think social media obviously makes that much worse. But I also do think we're. I'm kind of a little um, concerned about this hyper fixation on all these extreme little dials you have to turn for health. Like you have to drink water exactly 30 minutes before this. And, you know, and then if you, it's sleep, if you, just everything that's so particular that you can become consumed by that too.
3: You know why this is. We just had this conversation with a friend of ours, Kelly Starrett was here, him and his wife. And we we were talking about this exact subject. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is because most of us in this space are speaking to our peers, not even the,
5: Mm. the majority mm. mm-hmm.
3: we're all concerned about what everybody else yeah. thinks about us and we want to outsmart the other trainer and 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 tout some new study that came out or break down some new formula that gets the max results well, if
1: you do cardio at first thing in the morning there's a five percent increase in fat oxygen yes. you know? yes. People are like i don't want to do cardio so first thing meanwhile
3: in the we're missing 90 percent of the population right that gives two or, shits or about more either. yeah or more yeah yeah so i i really think i think it's a lot of us caught up in our own shit, our and own people insecurities. people are so focused
2: on rules. They want to know the rules. Like, what yeah. are the rules? What am I supposed to eat? What, what, When am I supposed to have coffee? Uh, what is adenosine triphosphate? Like all of these things, like there's, they want to know what is the exercise? What is the workout? What is the, and it's like, well, it's, it's just, we want it to be simple and it's not.
1: No, it's, it, it's, it's not simple, but it becomes automatic if you do it right and it takes practice and it becomes um it's like any skill you have to develop like you know when you first learn how to walk you really have to think about every step you take and you're going to fall and you got to pay attention you can't do anything else but eventually you just walk i mm-hmm. could walk and talk on the phone i could eat i could i don't yeah. even think about that i'm taking steps i don't think about breathing right? right it's all very automatic if you do this the right way then it and you develop the skill then you have a good relationship with exercise and nutrition then health is automatic because it's yeah. not healthy to have to constantly think about it that's mm-hmm. not healthy i get that that's a step yet first you may have to pay attention to learn things wow but Could you possibly, who could live that way? Counting every macro, every calorie, you know, tracking everything. Well, people, yeah, fitness fanatics, but you try conveying that to the average person. They try it like, I don't want to do this. Well, of course you don't want to do this. (laughs) It's immediate deterrent. You're a normal person. Nobody wants to do this.
3: I actually heard you say something on an interview that I thought was really cool. Um, Something that we talk about when we get somebody who wants to lose weight, we actually don't diet them or restrict them of anything we actually add to their diet and it Mm -hmm. always blows people's minds like wait a second this person wants to lose 50 pounds and you guys add to the diet i said yeah "Yeah." instead of focusing on what they can't have we try and add things to their diet i heard you say something that i thought was really interesting and i'd like to know where that came from and that was you don't even want somebody on a diet until they've like decluttered their life or fixed other shit that's going on in their life where did you and i totally agree with that Because most people use food as a drug and they're medicating because there's something else that's
2: going on and they haven't. And until you solve that, you'll never fix your problem. uh, And not just regarding diet, it's just anything. Like you really can't fix the things that are bothering you the most until you figure out like, what are all of these things that are distracting me? You know, even, even someone's home. I always say like, if your home is really, really cluttered, it hurts your brain. Your brain literally has, to, every time it sees something, it has to make a decision. Is that supposed to be there? Do, do I pick it up or do I leave it there? You know, every single article that's not where it's supposed to be, when you see it, your brain has to make a decision. And that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in this very exhausted state, it's impossible to make good, sound decisions. Your cortisol goes up, you then you start focusing on things that don't matter, you know, as much. So a lot of times I, I will just tell people, just start by decluttering your house and a lot of things will fall into place. Like your relationship will get better. You know, not like it's a miracle step, but it does make a really big difference because it helps you figure out like what's really important to me.
1: Yeah. A lot of unhealthy behaviors are reactionary impulse and impulse based. Yeah. So when you can change your environment, the reactions and the impulses also change, Yeah. right? So if you're stressed, if you're anxious, if things are disorganized, your impulses are going to be different than if things feel better, feel good about yourself, more relaxed. I think everybody can understand that, right? I think all of us know what that kind of feels like. So when Adam told me about that, that he saw you talk about that. I'm like, oh yeah, Yeah. that makes... Mm -hmm. Spoken like somebody who's been doing this a long time and really understands uh, you know, how this really works.
2: And I also feel a sense of responsibility again to those, you know whatever you want to call them, people who who trusted me, right? And they mm-hmm. saw me as their leader, I guess you would say, in terms of health and fitness. People who did my workouts for 20 years. And now they're like, wait, so we're all, are all those workouts bad? I'm like, no, no, the workouts are great. They're very sound. What I was doing wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. What I was, And what I was saying other people could do to get the, what I was doing to get my results, I wasn't telling people. And so I want to be very honest about that. I want to be very frank about that. I mean, I was doing HIT training uh, six days a week and, 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 also endurance cardio and lifting and wonder, wondering why I couldn't put on any muscle, you know? <laughs>
5: mm-hmm.
2: So it's, uh, once I left the fitness industry, I really made a conscientious decision to talk about what I was doing to figure out what is health mm-hmm. and it's mental health. It's your sexual health. It's your, it's your physical health. Sure. And, your weight, sure. You know, it's all of these things, not just what photographs well on Instagram. Yeah. You know what's ironic yeah. about
1: this too, because you're talking about what you did back then to look a particular way. The irony is, if you do it right, it's <laughs> you look way better less and work. feel better now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. You see that? No, I mean, and you know why? The reason why I want to say that because there's someone listening right now who has a bad, you know, maybe body image, mm-hmm. and all they heard was, "Oh, that's what she did to look that way. I can do that." Mm-hmm. But here's the truth, and here comes the sales part. But this is true. This is not a lie you can look better by doing it the right way, which is less work, healthy for your body. You'll feel amazing. So it's not like what you did was the only way to look the way you did. It, there's a better way to do it also, which yeah. requires less and it's better. That's and it interesting. Feels,
2: yeah. You saying that right now makes me realize maybe if I had only done it for 30 minutes a day, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I wasn't, I wasn't following the plan because in my mind, more... Meant more, like more mm. meant I would be smaller. More, more meant I would be leaner, tighter. You yeah. know.
1: Well, you obviously um, have this. I mean, you're you're extremely resilient because I've known people to do what you did and did come didn't come out of it um, like as well as you did. I mean, that will I really so. most people will get damage. Yeah. Or hurt, mm-hmm. Like sleeping four hours, five hours a night. Yeah. Working out that way. I mean, you do that for a few months, and most people. Get sick.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, I was a wreck. Mm. I mean, I I couldn't go a month without an injury, breaking ribs or pulling oh, hamstrings, oh, wow. or everything. Just mm-hmm. every injury. Just wow. to, I was like, Am I accident prone? Like mm-hmm. why? <laughs> Um, and I just realized, like you, you're absolutely malnourished. Mm-hmm. But thank you for that compliment. So 2010 was
1: when you sold mm-hmm. your company. Mm-hmm. Now, did you get approached, or did you put it up for sale? How did that?
2: Uh, no, we negotiated for many years uh, with Beachbody, and did
1: they approach you? Did you?
2: Did, or did you put it out there? I can't remember. Wow. Um, because I was, we were partners at the time okay. for the infomercials. So I'd mm-hmm. done three infomercials with them, or maybe more at that point. And uh, so they really liked the certification model. So they wanted to turn their programs into gym certifications. And we had that certification model uh, for fitness instructors and the continuity with the monthly program. So that looked like a good fit for them. And uh, then we, you know, consulted for a couple of years and why so long?
3: What was I mean, what was the hang up? Was it just attorneys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> anybody who's dealt with that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Attorneys, yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah.
1: So when that when you were going through that process where you're yes. like, when I'm done when I'm done, I'm done, I'm out or were you thinking i'm yeah. going to come back and no
2: I, I i wasn't saying that but yeah i knew that in my head i was just like whew. because you know i never felt like i belonged there anyways mm. and so i had this resent- you do know you do belong thank here, you right yeah. do you know That's that weird. now i uh, yeah i guess okay I I don't know that I feel that in consumer fitness. I don't like. I still have some angry resentment towards the industry. Sure. Uh, that I'm like I, sh- you're not getting me again. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was. So, I always felt like a little resent. I heard the story about um, uh, what's his name played the Fonz, Henry. Winkler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Henry Henry Winkler on the news once, and they asked him, "How does it feel everywhere you go?" People say, hey, Fons, it's the <laughs> Fonz, but you're, you know, you're a writer, you're a director, you're an entrepreneur, you've, you're a you know, Broadway actor, you've done all these things, but everyone still calls you the Fons. And when I heard this interview, I was still in that place where I was a little resentful that people were still introducing me as a fitness, health and fitness expert, where I'm like, mm. I'm a business expert. Mm. This is how I did well in fitness is because I'm a business expert. And so I had this resentment until I heard him say, no, I'm never resentful because it was a way for me to be invited into people's homes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh God, that's such a great perspective. And so now I don't have that same resentment when someone's like, oh my God, I know you from, Mm -hmm. you know, your workouts. It's just a feeling I have towards what I, what I have to hold myself responsible for the way I, handled being in those environments. That's a great attitude yeah. about
3: it. I actually, it's funny you brought that up because I tagged you yesterday. I was doing our day in the life and I tagged that you were coming on as a guest. And I shared you. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and I got uh, I got quite a few DMs from people and people were, uh, so many very excited because people listen to you and love your stuff. And then some very confused she's Beachbody. Why would you guys talk to her? Like, oh, oh, It's wow. like, wow, you really, you identify her as Beachbody. Yeah, like yeah. that is it. Like all the things that woman has accomplished and right. done. And you just think that because she does Beachbody and you've heard us say things about Beachbody that I can't yeah. have a conversation with her. And I thought that was really fascinating how that happens. But what a great attitude to have about that, because if it wasn't for that,
2: you know, right? who knows a, where you would It's the Fonzie attitude. And I did, once I made that decision to leave, I didn't post any fitness to my social, none. I never talked about it. I never had fitness people on my show. I really wanted to make a clean, just so that people could almost like cleanse their palate and I could really help people in business, which is what I love entrepreneurship. I love helping people like, I've got this crazy idea. I love helping people who are, you know, easily distracted by everything and helping them figure out like, okay, just here are the steps to start with.
1: So I want to ask you this because um, you do you see the parallels now or maybe you don't. I mean, I, you probably do. Do you see the parallels in fitness and just in entrepreneurship? In the I, sense that you're doing your, you know, you're working out. Oh, I'm doing this. I suck at it. I fail. Got to keep trying. Got to keep doing it. I fail. I can't, and there's growth, just like entrepreneurship. Yeah.
2: Can I mean? Do you? I. It. It's, to me, it seems Had quite thought obvious. About that, I think yeah. that's amazing. No, I. I've always thought that fitness is a gateway drug because you realize yeah i can fail and i can learn something yeah. from someone and then i can get better and so a lot of people go from fitness to personal development and then they start listening to podcasts and reading books and yeah. and then that usually leads to like hey i could do something on my own you know, so it's like, like this journey that people follow
1: 100% because look at the look at the commonalities right it's like you you eventually learn to be humble as entrepreneurship will teach you that oh yeah you 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 accept the fact that you're going to suck uh, a lot yeah. before you get good at anything, you you accept, you start to, you develop a relationship with failing that um, is uh, different than most people. Most people are afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. To be a successful entrepreneur, you just start to look at it as opportunities. What can I, where can I go from here? What does this look like? Um, it's empowering. You can't be successful in fitness or entrepreneurship without feeling empowered. You can't sit there and be like, eh, no, it's everybody else's fault. And no, you, true. You have to have the attitude like, well, what can I do? Right. Let me focus on what I what I can do.
2: So the commonalities, in, in my opinion, are are incredible. Especially the failure piece, right? right. Like I mean yeah. you can't you will not be successful in any entrepreneurial pursuit unless you're really willing to go like, oh, I just have to keep failing <laughs> and each time it gets better. Like with you know lifting, every time I fail I'm gonna get a little stronger.
3: Totally. I At awesome. what point did uh you and your husband go into business together. Has he always been a part of it? I know you talk a little bit about him being yeah. behind the scenes and a
2: lot of stuff. Was yes. he that,
3: that way back in beach Beachbody days or that happened oh, after, yes. oh, so oh, even yeah. then?
2: Yeah, yeah. So Brett has always been the, I mean, other than like the first couple of years of our marriage. But as soon as the um, fitness certification stuff started taking off, um, which was just a couple of years into our marriage, he quit his job and had never had any experience as an entrepreneur. And now he's in this very female dominant business where it's like, you know, women and all getting certified in music. And he doesn't know anything about a step touch or, you know, a 32 <laughs> count phrase. But he knows numbers and operations and he's laser focused. So he has the opposite brain of me. And so he always handled all of the, you know, st- strategies and the projections and the management. Um, and it takes, he's, he's a quarterback. He played, he was quarterback at UCLA and at Michigan state. So he's a leader, you know? And so it took some confidence to be able to have me be the quarterback, if you will. Yeah. You know, and he be kind of the general manager. So
3: what, okay. So my wife and I have been together for 13 years. She's been a part of four or five businesses that I built. She's Mm -hmm. always been a part of it. She's, and she's always kind of behind the scenes, uh, extremely important. Wouldn't be where I'm at if it wasn't for her. Love Um, what is uh, what have been some of the challenges of that? <laughs> Especially when I hear like, he's a leader like that, which I know you're a leader too. So I'd say there's some challenges that her and I, she was, yeah. so was I. And so what are some of the challenges that you guys have had working together like that?
2: Well, we went to therapy for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a lot of it was just learning how to communicate to each other. I initially would sometimes just like give him things like, I don't have time to do this, you do this. But he was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, you're setting me up for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the language I would use, I would say, like, well, in my business <laughs> or with my show, you know, and he would sit and be like, it's ours. Um, so we got some help there. Um, and then it was just really, truly having so much respect for the fact that I can't do what he does and he can't do what I do. And and really going like, wow, that is so cool. It's amazing you can do that. I wish I could do that. And we both feel that way about each other's skills and always knowing we're on the same team. We are, you know, I never want to say anything that's disrespectful or um, to assume that, you know, you're not looking out for my best interest, even if you're questioning why we're doing something. It's not personal.
3: You know, I, I love talking to couples that are entrepreneurs that actually built something together do you actually know that statistically, if you actually build a business together, you're more likely to stay? It's like 95 percent of couples that actually build companies together actually are more successful. In, really, in relationships, hmm. which you would think wow. would be the opposite. Yeah. I know, I yeah. would have guessed You'd the opposite. Yeah. It. yeah, it's actually right? true. Yeah. It's 90 or 95 percent more likely to stay together if you were able to create a <laughs> business. If you were able to create a business, right? right. Okay, there oh, okay. it is. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. It is. Yeah, okay. yeah, if it implodes and it's not successful, the yeah, marriage sense, probably won't no, be successful yeah. either. But yeah. if you have a successful business and you built it together, you're more likely to stay there. But why I like to talk to couples like that is because. Most of them, in order for that to have worked or been very successful, you mm-hmm. have put together some hacks or boundaries or rules, mm-hmm. or yeah. you know, yeah. there's a lot of things that Katrina and I do that that keep the relationship balanced to where there's our personal. Oh, yeah. So, what are some things that either you got from therapy or that you guys have implemented over your journey that
2: has made the marriage successful? Oh, this is my favorite topic. Okay. Um, family first. So, any opportunity, we would ask ourselves, is this going to take a toll on us emotionally? or our children and the answer then would be no we're not doing it Mm. so when we negotiated contracts part of the contract was i'm not doing any appearances on the weekends Mm. i'm just not um there's a minimum amount that i'll work because i want to be available for my kids i want to be there there's plenty of time our kids are gone now we can crush it you know so we both are very very committed to have what we wanted our kids to see and feel uh, by three o'clock every day, work was done. We had a code word, so if he would start talking about work, or he, I would call Kim Handsome. I'd say, oh, "Well, that's interesting, Handsome," and he would know, like, "Okay, we're <laughs> we're getting too heated about work." Mm. He would call me Smalls. That was mm-hmm. like our code word for like we're talking too much about work. Um, and then just always prioritizing each other and living over money. Who cares? Who cares? Like, yeah. and, and status. I don't like. I just I don't play that game mm-hmm. I can make enough money and I'll find a way to do it that doesn't take me away from my family for example when I wrote my f- uh, first book push um, the publisher it was it's about family and it's about like how to prioritize your life and the publisher really wanted me to do all these appearances during the month of December Christmas like mm. all everything and I just like I can't I I that's what the book is about Can we do them in whatever, late January, February? The
3: irony of that, right? Right? You wrote a book about prioritizing your family then all Christmas you'd be on tour.
2: (laughs) That'd be a terrible idea. So So I didn't. I I only did one appearance out of all of them and they were not happy. And they're like, you know, my PR agent was like, you're probably not going to get another deal with them. And I didn't. (laughs) But I did one appearance and it ended up being a New York Times bestseller. And because I had a strong community and I stuck to my... Values and I think at the end of the day, that's what people need to do. Like we can get so caught up in like I need to do more more and more because mm-hmm. I see this bro over here, he's doing this and they're doing that. We need to do that too, mm-hmm. and and it just impacts your relationship. I just want I want peace.
4: Now, have you noticed uh, a transformation and a shift uh, in your kids in terms of their behavior and just? them seeing that sort of change within you and like deliberately prioritizing them, have they like communicated that to you at all? Oh
2: God, yeah, they're, they're. if I have pride for one thing, it is our kids. They're so dope and they're so healthy and they both are entrepreneurs and they just have fun, which I would have never, I would have never, when we were in the thick of it, I would have never dreamed of taking a vacation are you kidding? Someone else could get further ahead or even going to see a movie. I'm like, what? When I've got so much work, go see a movie. What? You know, so to see how much they actually live life and enjoy life and understand, you don't have to do it the hard way. You can do it a smart way. And it's not all about money. Well, okay. So if, if this is a
1: misconception, I think a lot of people have on about entrepreneurs, that the reason why they do it is because they want to make a lot of money. Uh-huh. Uh, there's this, I, I remember hearing this phrase once that an entrepreneur will is the only person that'll work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40 hours a week. Mm. <laughs> what, what are your... Which is which? anybody who's, who's been working for themselves for a long time totally yeah. is that. Some truth there. What yeah. is it about entrepreneurship that if it's not the money, what is it about it that you love so much? Why oh, do you don't, keep doing it?
2: Don't even get it twisted. I love the money. Sure. Money's awesome. <laughs> I just don't want to work hard for the money. Got it. Um, oh, well said. And I don't want to do things with people I don't like I don't want to be told what to do.
1: Autonomy. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I I want a lot of freedom, um, and so I just look at every opportunity and say, is this going to add peace to our life? Is this going to fulfill us in some way? And of course, make us money. And if the answer is no, then it doesn't matter what the dollar sign is, you know. What do you? What
1: are the, some of the biggest roadblocks you see in people? Because I'm sure you have a lot of young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, follow you or ask you questions. What are some of the biggest roadblocks that you see with young entrepreneurs? Today? Oh, easy.
2: They don't want to delegate, so they're they mm. don't realize you have to spend money to make money. You've got to you've got to hire. You've got to you've got to figure out how to get your money to make you money. So you actually have to have financial literacy. Um, and if you don't, then you you stay in this kind of scarcity mindset where like I'll, I'll figure out how to edit the music and I'll figure out how to code mm-hmm. the website and I'll figure out how to build a Shopify and I'll figure out. Meanwhile, the only person who can build the thing that it is you're trying to sell is you let somebody else do all those other things where they think I'm saving myself money. And I used to have that mindset too, until you realize you just will work yourself into no life. You just nailed what I think every
3: six figure entrepreneur gets stuck at in order to break the seven and eight figures Mm -hmm. is if you, I think there's entrepreneurs out there that this was me for sure. Through my twenties, I had figured out how to build a business. And I knew that I'd always be able to provide for my family and I could mm-hmm. make a good income. Yes. But to reach like the millions of dollars was always like, I always hit that ceiling. And a lot of that had to do with letting go mm-hmm. of these things that I built and created that were my baby. <sighs> and I thought like, you can't trust anybody else to do this. No, no one, one will do it as well. Right. Me. Me. Yeah. And yes. I think that is, I think 100% is the number one reason why someone cannot scale a business is they cannot let go of, of certain parts. I mean, we struggle with that even in here amongst the four founders is some of us are really, or have a hard time with letting go of certain parts of our business. And it's always what keeps that side of the house. And that is
2: because if you are truly an entrepreneur, you see details, others do not.
5: Mm -hmm.
2: And so there are people who are great support staff that don't see those details. Mm -hmm. And that's will always be true. So, E- even today there are things i've let go of that i still know if i took it back over i might do it better sure mm-hmm. but then i wouldn't be able to do what i do i wouldn't be able to be here mm-hmm. you know 100%. you gotta yeah
1: you gotta do what you do best and let yeah. other people handle the rest
2: and you just gotta let go that of it rhyme, by the way what is it what is has been t-shirt. your
5: guys's uh,
3: of all the revenue streams uh, which by the way i listened a long time ago i listened to an episode that you guys did you both did i believe or you broke down like Our everything. Streams, yeah, yeah. yeah. I really and One of the things I appreciate, I really appreciate entrepreneurs that are willing to share openly, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, what has been like your favorite, you know, revenue stream that you guys have created and built and why? Probably
2: podcasting mm-hmm. because I I love podcasting so much, even though initially we were like, this isn't going to make us any money. This is just Shaleen talking, you know? Um, but I just, I love it. It fills me. It gives me so much joy to connect with other people and to be real and to, um, and to make money doing that is insane. So that's probably one of my favorites. And then of course, um, our investment portfolio, cause I don't have to do shit. <laughs>
5: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, and that's so
1: with, with social media, cause obviously you started as an entrepreneur before it existed. Yeah. Social media. Now all of a sudden exists. And now it's like all these different opportunities and ways to make money. Yeah. Some, something that I see is that people somehow think that the old rules no longer apply. In other words, uh, you know they'll have a thousand followers on a social media platform. Like, oh, I only have a thousand followers. It's like uh, if I owned a brick and mortar business and I had a thousand people walk through my business, right? That yeah. was a huge opportunity. Or they'll say, oh, I've been doing this for six months. You know, it's not working. It's like, man, you got to do this for a long time. Yeah. Like, do you see challenges like that with people who they now with social media, they think it's somehow it's different. Like it's supposed to happen faster and easier.
2: Yes. And I I also think that it's kind of like, um, you know, diet and fitness where it's like, well, someone has to tell me exactly what to do. And I'm going to make this stupid reel where I'm Mm. lip syncing. (laughs)
5: I hate that. And pointing.
2: (laughs) But first of all, it's someone else's voice. So I don't even connect with you on that level. And it it just, it just, there's no way to connect. And anyone who wants to make money on social media, that's about, if you want to monetize, we're talking about sales. And sales happen when we know, like, and trust someone. I know nothing about you. Well said. When you're lip syncing and pointing, Mm -hmm. I know nothing about you. If you're dancing, I know, like, I really, the best place to monetize is in your stories. It's where, you are the realist. And the people who are really doing that authentically are winning. And that's, that's why all these major corporations now, they don't wanna work with big influencers because they know it's a, you know, people aren't, aren't falling for it anymore. Mm. Um, hey, guys, I just wanted to pop on here real quick because yeah. a lot of you have been asking. About... <laughs> <laughs> no one's asking. Oh, my God. That's like so, that's like so weird. It's a uh, specific product. Yeah, yeah
4: why well, it looks so radiant today? That's so funny. Yeah. We So it's
1: funny. Uh, when we first started Mind Pump, uh, we, uh, we were trying to find ways to grow the business, and we weren't super versed in social media.
3: So what do you mean super? We, none of us even had it. Uh, none yeah. of us even had I'm it. I'm being nice. Okay. Nobody had Facebook. <laughs> nobody <laughs> had Instagram. Nobody had YouTube. I used none Adam's us. body to get did you are. lose
1: yours? I, yeah. Oh my, His was off, gone yeah.
3: for almost, what, almost a year? Yeah, eight months I, yeah, or so? Yeah, I got kicked yeah. off there. Didn't hurt the business it's at all. all right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah.
1: our, our business is not centered around that. But anyway, we yeah. found somebody on social he was media. He too real. This, this, <laughs> yeah, he who had a large following. It was this girl that had a large following. And we thought, oh, she's going to post about Mind Pump. We're going to get all these listeners. It did nothing for us because yeah. people were only there to look at her half-naked photos. Mm. And she provided zero value. And then there was, a, there was this other young lady that she had lots of followers. She came out with a T-shirt. I think she sold 20. Yep. She had like millions of followers. Oh yeah. So I think there's a lot of confusion okay. as to what you know whether or not people follow you because they're like looking at you or whether or not they find value in what you have to say and want to buy what you have to offer. Also, Big because
2: difference. of what I do, I know I can look at the account. And I know that you've bought your fo- followers, and I can see that oh, you're yeah. buying yeah. your likes, mm-hmm. and I can tell that you're in an, an engagement by the group. engagement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can, I can all of it and so it's so funny to me when i have these kinds of folks on my show or like they, they're connecting with me like oh we can do a, this for that i'm like yeah, no, I'm cool. dude, if it <laughs> you don't understand like it is so glaringly obvious and it's it hurts your brand like how can i trust you if you're buying your likes if you're buying an yeah. engagement and yeah. you're you bought your followers you're there's nothing what's what's real
1: yeah mm-hmm.
2: all right so can i ask you
1: something selfish because I really uh, respect your opinion, so okay. obviously you're coming on our show. You listen to our show a little bit. Yes, beforehand? yes, a okay. lot. So I'm sure you went through our stuff, our social media. <laughs> no, you didn't. Okay. I no, I, looked at, I looked at
2: them. Um, I looked at just stories. I because I, I like I just look at stories, but I will. I promise I will. Okay. For you. Well, I was
1: going to ask you what you thought because obviously yeah. you came on the show, so you must have thought okay, they're.
2: I just love you guys because you're so real. Okay. Um, and I am. I, I don't do interviews I, yeah why is that by the way
1: because you've, you've done them in the past yeah. I can find videos not, for not four many. or five years ago, But not, not, not a many. ton yeah. yeah why don't yeah. you do any and by the way thank you for coming on
2: here absolutely yeah, I mean we're in Florida and they're like do you want uh, to fly like, yeah. to that. That San yeah. Jose I'm
3: thank
2: like you. absolutely yeah. because I love you guys because you're real honestly the reason why I don't do most is because a lot of people it's just like I don't know. It doesn't feel real. It Doesn't mm-hmm. feel, and it's like, what is it gonna do for me? Like, I, I don't, you know, what I mean? you know, what I, mean? I hate to say it, yeah. but I want to just waste of time. I, I want to have my day free. I hate being having an appointment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just laziness. That's mm-hmm. all. No, I don't
1: think it's laziness. <laughs> I think you're
2: just smart with your. There time. we go. Yeah, no, exactly. and, it's and it's and it's right. authentic. I think. I mean, yeah.
3: you obviously, like us, have been doing this for a long time. I remember when we started to experience this when we first started. I. Almost every time we meet somebody who we would get all excited to meet is it's always a letdown, man. Mm-hmm. Because they have built up this facade yeah. of who they are yeah. online, yeah. and when they get there, it's like either one they're that character and they stay in character. Oh, I know who you're
2: right? talking about. And you Go can't
1: ahead. and you can't and you can't get them <laughs> we, out of that. We interviewed no. someone. I don't want to say who they were, but we were all excited about interviewing them because they were okay. big on social media. This is back when we first started. Yeah, we did the recording. They're in their character. Turn off the mics. Still. Same cadence, same, same weird, delivery. Like, yeah. and I'm like, you can turn it off, bro. Like, you yeah. wonder if they ever
2: do. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Think I know, right? Ever... If they walk
1: around
3: with their wife or husband,
1: like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that.
2: laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes you wonder.
3: No, yeah. I think they practice that hard that they're in character all the time. I really yeah. do think that. But and there's a there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in this space, and it's a, it's and unfortunate. The other thing too that yeah. a lot
1: of people don't, I think, maybe don't realize is if you are inauthentic or fake, and you experience this, that's why you got out. Okay, because. Yeah. Yeah. If you are inauth- in- inauthentic and fake, and God forbid you do become famous for it, that's torture. Because yeah. now you right? got all those people that love you Dude, you're for personal not role. you. Right. Like that's torture. I don't think people realize that. Like not making it because you're fake is better than making it because you're fake. Because then you're walking around and you're like, all these people like me for that, and that's not who I am. I got to always be this
2: the person. The thing I'm trying to work on myself personally is I feel so triggered when people will start complimenting and like going on and on about somebody who's, you know, well known or whatever famous on social media for whatever reason. And I know who they are. Like I, I really know who they are. Yeah. And it just, I want to like warn the world. And I'm like, why? Why does it bug me so much yeah. that the average person doesn't actually see through it? Yeah. The average person doesn't see mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. the BS, the snake salesman, the or snake oil, and the, just the phony. I cannot stand the stupid stuff I see on social media. I'm like, this is. It, there's nothing real about this. Who is connecting with it? Yeah. But a lot of people do. And for some reason, I'm like, why I need to ask my therapist, like, why does this bug me so much?
3: It's a it's a it's actually a reflection of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have the same thing. Right. So there's a part of us. You're motivated very similar to we are. We're motivated because we felt like we did so many people wrong for so long, whether Mm. it was intentional or unintentional. I didn't know that. And so that's buried in all of us. It's part Mm -hmm. of the motivation of why we try and put out such good information, both of us. But the part that probably bothers us is we still see a little bit of ourself, our mm. old self, in oh. that person. All right, that's fair. And that, and that's yeah, what we of our sales us.
4: tactics. You know, yeah. we, we knew what moved the needle and how to get people to kind of uh, go in the direction we wanted them to, and applied it. But yeah, it's it's totally a, a guilt thing. Yeah, that started this, and, and just yeah. our conversations with our clients of how to uh, filter through that and, and find their way towards what really works. Like that was the motivation behind the show. Yeah, it's like. like we're just getting well, inundated with bad information.
1: It really does. Well, well, I th- what we're hoping is that we can prove that you can do it the right way and still build a business in the fitness space, which uh, I don't. I almost didn't believe at first. I said, okay, you got to kind of be fake and whatever. But we're gonna, we were at that point, we all had businesses already. We were all pretty secure. So we're like, we're going to do it this way. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, it's working. Yeah. So I think you can do it the right way. I think you can do it the right way, you, you know? So you don't have to be it that. It doesn't
2: happen overnight, but it I, I, I yes. absolutely agree with that. You've got to be principled. You long, have yes. to have your values. And I think the average person feels like they see a success story and they're like, oh, so I, I'm just going to get like a studio and I'm going to set up the mics and there's going to be three of us and, you know, it's, it's going to work. And then when it doesn't in a year, they think, well, why didn't it work for me? But it really takes so much persistence. It does. And so much tenacity and so much like just doing it every single day. It, oh, was a, mm-hmm. it was a
3: slow climb mm-hmm. for us people always think that we like exploded overnight it's like nope the business literally on all line items has grown 50 percent year over year yeah. since the very first day we turned it on wow just you know it's mm-hmm. not a i'm waiting for the hockey stick sal's been we're gonna we hit this hockey stick one day it's, it's like no it's just been <laughs> yeah steady do and the I, next right
2: thing steady, steady, and steady, have you guys always did you oh yeah you always did start with video didn't you no. no, no, no. Video we did GoPro,
4: we never released it because it was oh. just like this is the most boring. Of, thing of, that was ever one seen. of our
2: biggest mistakes. Actually, one of,
3: there's two huge mistakes. Which is, let's get into this. This would be fun to talk to you about this because of your, all your success in yeah. business too. When I share some of the biggest mistakes we ever made, one, we actually thought email was dead when we first started. Okay, Boy, was that yeah, a mistake. So <laughs> Way wrong. Your friend Mike Matthews Way wrong. He's like, no, no, you got to have email oh, yeah. lists. Like, oh, yeah. So like three years in the business, we we had really thought at that time, this is how naive we were. We had thought that like, oh, social media has now become the new medium instead of email. And so we f- were starting to kind of focus on that. Didn't do any email lists. So that was mistake number one. Uh, mistake number two was thinking that you know who would want to see three assholes talking into a mic all okay. for two hours like that just, just sitting still like yeah. there's no way so sure. and now obviously the the YouTube channel is continuing to yeah but grow. you know what
1: though looking back. You know, oh, it all we, happened for a reason. Yeah, because I, we I weren't agree. media people. I mean, we don't know. We're, we're trainers. We're fitness people. So it's like uh we had to. I mean, we would have sucked so bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? I get it. Yeah, and we did. We did. We were terrible when we first started. Some pe- people liked this for some reason, but we were we weren't great. If you listen to some of those first episodes, please don't. By the way, <laughs> yeah. <if you're> watching, <laughs> yeah, it's really no, embarrassing. Don't, don't put that out there. What, yeah.
3: So <laughs> what were some of the, like on on your journey of scaling yeah. the the empire that you have now? What would have been some like looking back? Like, oh, I, I fucked up there. I Should have oh, done that sooner. Geez. So
2: many, so many. Uh, it's hard to remember them. Uh, water bottles. So I, I love making habits really simple so you don't have to think about it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, habit stacking. And so for me, in order to get enough water, I fill up three water bottles every day. You know, I actually do it the night before and I fill them up so that they're, you know, ready to go in the morning. And then when I'm done drinking all three, I'm done. Instead of refilling, refilling, refilling. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm going to develop these the system a water bottle system. (laughs) And there's going to be a morning water bottle and they're going to have different colors. And then you buy all three and then there's a backpack you can carry them in. And, you know, my most loyal fans all were like, yes, the three water bottle system. Not thinking like they could just go to Target and buy three (laughs) water bottles, right? So that was a losing proposition. But the biggest, which we probably lost a quarter of a million dollars in, is um, app development. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because- I just, every single time we would have our meetings, I would be like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. I don't know what they're talking about. This Mm -hmm. makes no sense to me. It just keeps getting further away from what I want it to be. I'm so confused. I don't know what you're talking about. I hate these meetings. This is not bringing peace to my life. And I just said to my husband, I'm like, can we just walk away from this? And he's like, we have a lot of money invested. I, I go, I know, but I hate it. He goes, well, I do too. I go, well, then let's just walk. Mm, wow. And it makes
3: That makes me feel so much I better. I know. We only lost really 75,000. Adam went <laughs> through that. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. So that was, we, before we all got together, Justin and I had, were building a fitness app that of course, of course we thought it was brilliant. So wow. this is what year? This is 2000. So seven years
4: ago? Eight no. Years no ago. What are
3: you talking about? We've been but, doing this for eight. It was uh, two years two before 13, that. 2013? Okay. So you yeah. would have lost a quarter ago. million. Yeah. Go ahead. It was now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was expensive. We uh we were we were building that and I mean knew no idea what we we're doing and I remember just constantly throwing money at like first it was engineers, right? And then we <laughs> then we find out yes. like well you need someone to design it if you want to do that. And Designers, everybody quotes you developers. this like, Oh, we could do it for this. But we didn't know. Yeah, should, and then each
4: stage this is this. another like twenty, thirty thousand dollars. I'm like, yeah.
2: I don't even know it's like French. I'm listening in on a conversation. I don't know what they're saying. I hate this. So I'm yeah. so
4: blessed
3: that totally. we had that experience uh back when we didn't have the kind of money that we have now because obviously we have the capital to mm-hmm. easily do that now and I remember Justin and I being so staunch about no because everybody wants that actually we have a huge audience it's like when are you guys going to develop an app huh. make an app
4: make an app I'm like hell no it's such mm-hmm. a terrible business yeah, model. we can deliver the same thing and have a real good experience uh, without all the engineering well yeah. I remember when we, we met
3: with somebody and this was the moment for me I don't know what happened for you guys it sounds like just being frustrated with it but the moment for me where I was like oh that was the aha was when I found out that tool apps are virtually worthless when it comes to making money and gaming apps make 85% of all revenue <laughs> in the app world. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this is not a good idea to right. build some fitness app. That's right. basically a tool for all of our audience right. to use, which sure makes their life a little more convenient, and easy, but dropping a half a million dollars on something that's probably not going to get its ROI. So, Dude,
2: that Instagram subscription model is going to take a lot of apps out. Oh, yes. oh, oh yeah, A lot of apps out yeah. because that's where people are. Yep. you know mm-hmm. that's yep. the thing is like when you're asking people to, to leave a platform and then open up a separate app to to get more content from you that's mm-hmm. that's an ask yeah you know that's a big and do you guys have a patreon? No no okay no that, you know. have that was a, actually a so the level of YouTube
1: no. No. no no no
3: so we didn't so actually what made us start monetize for a year and almost a half we didn't monetize any of the business the goal was can we build an on? no
2: ads no nothing nothing. We no we wanted down. to build
1: value we wanted to create some authority let you know have see like look we know what we're talking about well, like, the, the, yeah. the
3: goal was to prove what we all believed right we all believed that we had something to give to people that was of value but before we even would want to consider making any money it was like let's go prove that let's go prove that we can provide so much good free content Line. that will build an audience of people what made us turn on the monetization because at that time Sal and Doug, this is before we even met, had already created an online digital program. So they had a program ready to sell and we did not promote it or talk about it until we actually started to get DMs. Man, this is what we always tell entrepreneurs that are trying to build a social media business is we actually got to a point where we were literally daily, each of us, getting messages of people trying to give us money. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have a Patreon? Do yep, you have a yep, shirt yep. I can buy? Do you, like you have already helped me so much.
2: Yeah. Wow! I want to reciprocity give, is there? Oh, yeah.
3: And then that was the moment we realized that yeah. we could literally sell
2: anything now because we've already built so much value yes. in these people's lives. You and, save people time and money when they can trust you. Now I don't have to research you. I've outsourced my research to you. I've outsourced the things that matter to me. Like I, I know because I've got years of listening to you that I can trust you, and that saves people time and money. And it's it's so valuable, and people don't. Realize that one wrong move and you've lost people's trust. Yep, mm-hmm. and you you just can't do that. You can't take that chance.
1: Yeah, and it's not worth the flash in the pan potential success yeah. of right. ruining your integrity. And especially nowadays, you know, I remember when this switched for the gym industry. Where you know back in the day, you could, you know, you could finagle and do you know rip people off or be a jerk or whatever, and they might tell a few friends, but no one's going to find out. But these yeah. days, you, you it's all over the online. You're you you're one minute gold, the next minute zero because you know you got some bad reviews or. You did something the wrong way. So. Yeah,
2: and that's kind of a scary thing, yes. right? Like people are, are really quick to cancel and quick to sure. put you on blast without looking at the history. But again, when it comes to trust, I think if you're acting in a way that's very principled, um, it, that's important. Every single opportunity. You know, I just had this conversation with my son. He's he has a huge social media following. And somebody, uh, looks like a great company, reached out to him. And he's like, what, what do you think I should do with this? And I said, a lot more research because Mm -hmm. people really, really Mm -hmm. trust you. This is a big payday, but dude, like we, you just, you need to do so much more research on this company. Like for me, before I'm going to work with the company, I need to know like, how do they, how do their customer service reps treat people when they call? You know, what, what, what is their history? What's the CEO like? You know, those things kind of matter to me. Yeah. We want to meet all of them. That's so, I had all the partnerships out of
3: our business and before we do anything with anybody. Like we want to court them for like six months, and they're always yeah. and people always say, "Well, we want to give you money hurry, for this." Hurry. Like, no, no, no. Come down, come have dinner with us. Let's hang out. Tell me about your business. How you got there? I want to hear their story. Like that all matters. Not just if they have some product that aligns with maybe something that we we value. It's it's important that we understand them because as- there's
2: a massive supply of companies that are looking for people who have the most valuable commodity, which is trust. Right. So yeah. don't jump. Do you, you think?
1: Know? Do you think that that commodity is even more valuable today than it was before because I, of the, the market
0: and?
2: Yeah, and because everybody's selling now, right? Like mm. you know, your mom's a social media influencer, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like everybody is selling mom's and selling, She's sell, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. killing it. <laughs> She's awesome. So it we we become very like, wait, is this an ad? Are they getting paid? You know, and so I'm just I think it's really important that we understand because now everybody's selling and everyone's trying to get everyone to sell like micro and nano influencers, right? Companies are no longer working with big, huge influencers, because they would rather have someone who's much easier to work with, I don't have to go through their rep, I can work directly with them and pay them directly. And they have a loyal following that trusts them, it might be a small following, but they're actually going to get a return. And there's an unlimited supply of nano influencers. If you define nano influencers, anyone who has over hundred followers, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. Do you think social media has been, uh, it's obviously changed a lot of things. Do you think it's been a net positive or a net negative? Oh gosh, that's a great question. It depends on how it's used, mm. you know, cause there, there's so many things that I've learned from social media. Like I, it's just so great to be able to say to your audience, Hey, does anyone know what this could be? Mm-hmm. And you, mm-hmm. and you get these great responses the or does anyone know a great restaurant to, Try it in San Jose, and there's so many so many positives that come from it, and there's also a lot of uh, negatives. Obviously, I think
3: it's a net positive for people in like the room, but I think it's a net negative for, for what the consumer for the mass for the yeah, general consumer. population because they it's, don't know how to yeah because they're easily distracted, I would, they're yes, easily sir. sucked into the rabbit hole, they're easily marketed to. So I
1: would have disagreed with them if uh, a while ago, but the reason why I'm starting to agree is because I've had this experience now where I'm at home. And the kids are down and wife and I have like 45 minutes to watch TV and I have Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and I spend 45 minutes trying to find something to watch because there's so much stuff. (laughs) So I'm starting to believe that now. It's like now you're a consumer and it's like, oh my God, there's this like (inaudible) endless sea of information. What is good? What's bad? Is it
2: just how, vol- how popular they are? Is it by how they
1: look? Like-
2: and if you have ADD or ADHD <laughs> yeah. um, and you, everything is information is dopamine. It's like I need another hit on you. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you the number of times I've stood in my bathroom and I can't get in the shower until I have something that I can listen to while I'm in the shower, because <laughs> yeah. I like so I you have to find the right YouTube
5: oh. because
2: I can't take a shower oh. and just oh. shower. Oh. I can't spend three minutes without stimulation. Oh. What's wrong with me? And now I'm late. Like this oh. makes no sense. Oh. So I, it it does create for a lot of people that um, think they have, and I think that's why there's an Adderall shortage. I think that's why so many people think they have ADHD mm-hmm. is because of, you know people are talking about being distracted. Well, how could you not be distracted when you've got notifications and, and uh, your phone's zinging and you can play a podcast in the background and YouTubes and Netflix and all of these things, information overload. And then we're wondering why we feel distracted. Well, that's why.
1: Have you ever done, do you ever do um, like tech fasts where you're like, okay, for the weekend, we're not doing, we're going to turn everything off. Yeah. Do you do that?
2: Yeah. It's really, really hard. Super hard. Really, really hard. I don't like it. (laughs)
1: Now, now, how do you feel afterwards or why do you keep doing it?
2: Why do I keep doing what? The
1: fast, the tech fast. Uh,
2: Because I know my brain hurts. It's Mm -hmm. usually when I feel like there's just so much going on and I need to, but because my job is today, marketing and social media, I kind of have to know what's going on. At least that's my excuse to not take a fast yeah. very often. Um, but when I do, it's now I I find that every time I fast, it's almost like I eat less, right? So I, every time I fast, then I come, when I come back, I consume less and less social media. That's
1: a great point. So
2: now it's I go on Instagram every day. I really intentionally say don't look at the explore page just go directly to my dms mm-hmm. so that i'm going there to connect with my community and not to consume other people's content because i'm too easily distracted do you
1: have any so it, you made such a phenomenal point by the way that this distraction is no longer an issue for people who ha, who are neurodivergent right ADD, mm-hmm. adhd it's now an issue for everybody yeah um, and I agree with you. I think that's why so many people are medicated who probably don't need to be necessarily because the world is just so crazy and everything follows you all over the yeah. place. Where do you find peace for yourself? Is there anything you do on a daily basis? Like for me, it's extra working out. Like yes. I identified this a while ago. Like I work out for mental health. Oh, yeah. 100%. And everybody makes fun of me for how consistent I am and how neurotic I am about it. But it's like if I don't do that, yeah, I go crazy. And that's the only time when I put my headphones on and I'm here. Yes. I'm here. Is is do you have anything like that for yourself? Well,
2: for sure, it's fitness, okay. right? So I I won't listen to podcasts when I'm working out just music just explicit rap music and Wait, uh, explicit rap music yeah People <laughs> say can I have your be do gangster rap so,
4: you imagine west that? coast or what yeah uh, okay. imagine
3: sitting it's next bad. to work I know and you hear a, a little f- five foot oh, two blonde listening to gangster yeah. rap music
2: people when they ask for my uh, Spotify playlist I'm like please don't judge me it's not appropriate and people are really horrified but yeah. I love that about you I, I have a
3: thing I don't trust anybody that doesn't swear okay good yeah, yeah. 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 F-Bom's like, galore yeah. for sure <laughs>
2: um, so, I, and I love roller skate. I love to paint. I love spending time with my husband. We love traveling. Um, you know, it, it's you guys are in the thick of it because your kids are young. Yeah. But like, let me just tell you, it's over in a snap. And and I just remember thinking, when they were little, like all the sacrifices we were making. Like, God, I wonder if opportunities are gonna come around when they're gone. Yeah. I wonder what life's gonna be like. But because we were so in it together, the two of us, and had been through a lot of hard things together. Um, when the kids were gone we were both so looking forward to like just doing whatever the fuck we wanted to you yeah. know and yeah. and like we just decided we're going to travel for the next 8 months we're going to go to Europe we're going to go to Miami we're going to go all over and figure out a place to live other than California and <laughs> um, just Jealous. have fun and like you know, we love snowboarding and, and I love to roller skate. It just doing things that are physical mm-hmm. is how, because if you're doing something physical, we have to think about it <laughs> or right. you could fall like, like snowboarding. You can't be distracted. It's just, but you're still having to focus. And so that feels good to my brain. Yes. I, I can't just sit and meditate. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not good at it. Yeah. yeah. It's
1: so hard for me to do now. Okay. So was this a challenge when you had your kids and let me go a little deeper. So I have four kids, but the age gap is big between them. I wasn't great with this with my older ones, my younger ones. I became more aware of it because, you know, I had, you're wiser. Yeah. Like, like all of a sudden I realized how fast things went like by, I'm like, Oh my God, they're already like teenagers. Like I got these little ones now. I want to be more present. I had this moment I've talked about on the podcast where my two year old, he was playing and he was, we were playing, and then he went off to play on his own. And I'm like, oh, an opportunity to like go on my phone, right? Yeah. And I said, uh, and I was on my phone. I said, you know, let me just watch him. Let me just watch him and just be here. And I put my phone down, and I realized, and I don't know how many times this must have happened before that I wasn't even aware of, he would look back at me every once in a while to see if I was watching him. Totally. Wow. Would, I totally missed that every time wow. I was on my phone. And so wow. I was like, okay. Did you did you have challenges with that with your kids where, like, I need to be present?
2: Yeah, okay. absolutely. And a lot of guilt, especially as a mom. You know, I, I was work running my business from home. We had a headquarters, but I would work from home because in my mind, then I'm at home with my kids. But there was a time that I just realized um, I'm here, but I'm not here. Mm. Like they're in the room, I'm at the baseball game, but I'm also doing work in my head. Mm-hmm. Like I, it was really hard for me to be present. And I had to figure out how to change that. And that meant doing less. That's That's really when it like forced me to delegate a lot more. Uh, so that I could be present for them, I think the the greatest gift you can give your child is your uninterrupted, one thousand percent your time. Like, and it doesn't have to be a long time. It doesn't have to be an hour. If you just tell, if your kid literally, and you tell them, "Listen, I'm putting my phone down. This is just your time. We're gonna. What do you want to do?" And if they want to, you know, build Legos or paint or whatever it is they want to do, you just sit there without. Asking them questions without having any intent other than I just want to be with you. Mm. I think that's the greatest gift you can give your child. The best thing you can do for your kids is give them confidence. Don't do things for them. Tell them they can figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't buy our kids cars. We could definitely have bought them cars. But like that was like I, here I am, fifty four years old, and I'm still bragging about the fact that I bought my first car. <laughs> like that changed who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That my parents didn't say. Uh, you can't go to college. They said, well, yeah, of course you can go to college and I, and you'll probably figure out a way to pay for it. Like I didn't know it was a negative. I didn't see it as a negative. So I think the greatest thing you can do for your kids is to don't tell them, let them learn and experience it. You'll figure this, let's figure this out. You're gonna figure this out. And and to give them confidence is something a lot of people don't do with their kids. Let's
3: talk a little bit more about that. You So <clears throat> this is actually on this top of mind for me right now a lot. So my son's gonna be four. Okay. Um, I grew up uh, uh, far less privileged than he was. And um, of course, as a a young kid or young boy and teenager, I had resentment to my parents for growing up that way. Mm. As a 40-year-old man and father now, I'm so grateful for that journey because it's what turned me into who I am today. So one of the things I think about all the time is like, okay, how do I create adversity in my son's life that I had so he builds the characteristics that I built and with this privilege that he's going to grow up, he's going to grow up completely different than I am. So, how did you guys do that? You guys were very successful mm-hmm. when they were probably pretty young. Yeah. What are some things that you guys have done? Where, and Did you make a lot of mistakes? Did you guys think sure. you guys, what are some things you yeah. did well? What are some things you didn't do well?
2: We'd have to ask them, but because uh, I'm sure <laughs> they've got a lot to say about it. But um, got, we had them do therapy from a very young age. Oh, okay. Like my, we had my son start in therapy when he was like uh, six years old, just because he was, I forget what, it, he was um, obsessing about, People you would see on the street, like, well, where's their dad? Like, you'd see a homeless person. Mm. And, and I thought, well, you know, my parents started me in therapy at a very young age. So I wanted to normalize that so they're mentally healthy and know that like, this is a, like, going to the dentist thing right, you should do. but it's do. okay to do that. Yeah. And then in terms of the <clears throat> adversity, I don't know that it's adversity. I think it's um, teaching kids that they have all the resources. Um, it's helping. So for our kids, we would have them start little businesses. But not like now you got to be the CEO and you got to do this for nine months, just for a week, you've come up with a great idea and you can go to school and sell this to your friends, that kind of thing. So they would learn like, Oh, I can make money. And then when they would have problems, like, let's say, uh, our daughter didn't want to play for a particular soccer coach. We'd be like, all right. So then, um, how are you going to explain it to him instead of going in and saying and doing it for her, Mm -hmm. letting, teaching them like you, this is how you solve these problems and let's, let's role play this and, and helping them to understand like you have all the tools. When our kids were old enough, they had to buy their own cars and I made them negotiate and I made them do the research. I made mm-hmm. them like figure out like what, how they could get scammed and all of those things.
1: I think, mm-hmm. um, so I, so we, we've we been talking about this topic for a while now and oh. I've asked a lot of people and one of the best answers I got was, and it's it's right along the lines of what you're saying is they said, well, adversities you know, is, is in life. Doesn't matter if you have money, you don't have money there's all kinds of adversity that it's exactly what you said. Don't do for them what they can do for themselves because what happens is parents try to remove natural adversity or try to do everything for them. And then they never learn. And that's where confidence, like exactly what you said confidence comes from. It's like that they can fail, they can do something wrong and they could get back up and, try again. That's how they become confident. Not by you telling them you're so great. Yeah. You know, you, oh, you, you're an awesome, you're great the way you are type of deal. Like that doesn't teach them how to be confident.
2: No. And my parents were like completely, um, I mean, they're just oblivious to the wild child that they had. And <laughs> because they didn't drink, they didn't smoke. They don't swear. You know, they're just like Midwest margin bill. Mm. Like, well, if she says she was home at that time, she was home at that time. You know? <laughs> oh my God. So I was like out of control kid. Um, I mean, literally so out of control. The things I did were just, hor- I don't know how I'm alive. And it was just because I could, you know, it was fun. I was a thrill seeker and I loved the risk. I loved taking all those chances. So I was onto my kids. I'm like, oh no, your mom's a ninja. Like, <laughs> yeah. But they, I wanted them to do those things because I know it's, it's all going to work out, you know? Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And I remember there was a time Brett and I were, uh, we told Brock, we're like, we will pay, we're going to give you a bonus if you get a C because he was so caught up in his grades. We're like, oh. dude, it doesn't matter. You're gonna be an entrepreneur. like. You you don't have to kill oh, yourself because he's getting A's and yeah. B's all the time. All that, A's, you know. Oh my and, god, it's funny. And we were just like, no, just just live your life, you know. And and class, fuck yeah. off in class, also. yeah. yeah. You know, didn't drink, didn't none of them. They were like too good. I'm like, guy, my thing, like you said, the way I grew up, I'm like, are they going to be okay if I? They're not taking risks. Mm. But what we've what studies show today is that kids today aren't as risk taking no. as yeah. we were yeah. because mm-hmm. they've got social media as a dopamine hit, and so they're drinking later. Not all, but most of them are drinking later, having sex much later mm-hmm. and not experimenting with uh drugs the way we were i think uh
1: it's a there's like we debate that, we, we debate we debate that yeah actually it's cause lot. and effect it's oh. like um, there's
3: a great book by um gene torrey it's called IGEN and it has like all the statistics and studies yeah. on what you're what you're talking about and i think it's because kids can are more informed they can Google it. What happens if I get, you know, what's, mm. what happens if I get married at 19, you know, and you can Google like the likelihood you'll stay together, or you can mm. Google like the percentage of people that get STD. So like here's can, the
1: debate. The debate is that there's that position. I think, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, I don't think informing teenagers is what makes them make good or bad choices. I mean, we knew what was, you know, drugs are bad. Don't yeah. have sex. I think what it is, is we had to take risks in order to be with our friends. We had to take risks in order to do anything. Now you can go online, communicate with people. You could get pornography yes. whenever you want. Yes. So yes. you got that sex hit. Like yeah. when I was 15, like, and I wanted to be with a girl. Like, yeah. uh, it's like my mom's Sears magazine was about as close <laughs> as it got. Or I had to like get on my bike. Yeah. I had to go on my bike and ride and go meet and like put myself out there and yeah. do stuff. And then. You know, nobody knew where I was, and have a cell phone. People were recording me, so we just did. You know, so it's like uh, it's like risk versus rewards. Like, you know, kids are more kind of like safe now, but they also don't have as much connection, don't have as much, you know, maybe maybe toughness around certain things. But they're also not doing as many drugs and not getting pregnant as early. So it's like, all right.
4: Well, and I think too is a big shift in terms of the communication between parents and kids, and um, you know, it, in terms of like the my. Growing up, it was very authoritarian. Like this is the way it is. Like it's black and white. Like there's no explanation behind it. You okay. just had to do this, or yeah. you can't do this, yeah. or you're gonna get kicked out of the house if you so do this. So, were you a good kid because it, of it, that? I was a. I was very wild, like outside <laughs> of their knowledge. But I was sure. very good on the surface. Okay. So you're you know, very similar to that. that. Yeah, yeah. They have no idea.
2: To this day, do they? To this know? day,
4: they they have no idea. Okay, we were yeah, like them. half <laughs> the stuff that yeah I was part of. But yeah, I, I honestly I think that's part. And so that's something that I noticed about myself and my upbringing and so like me now trying to at least have these conversations with my kids ahead of time and Mm -hmm. like not making so much weight behind the conversation of drugs and sex has really opened up a lot more conversations with them which I feel like it it takes some of the air out of it a bit
2: yeah we did a lot of brainwashing of our kids we would so we didn't tell (laughs) them you couldn't do something but we would be like see those oh did you see that what a loser, that guy over there smoking. Yeah. Such a loser. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, smart. Like, because we were just uh-huh. trying to brainwash them, yeah. you know, and uh, it it worked, I guess.
3: Is there yes. anything that you and Brett talk about like now you guys lay in bed and you like look at your kids. I'm sure you guys do this, right? Look at like how proud you are and all the great things. Is there things that you guys go like, man, we should have done more of that or I wish we would have done that with this one. Are there things that you guys talk like that mm. that you saw either worked and wish you did more of or something you thought, yeah. ah, we should have done that.
2: It's hard to say that because, you know, what if my kids are to listen to this? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> they're de- I mean, I definitely have regrets over some of the things that like I talked about that they were exposed to, sure. right? Yeah. In terms of parenting, I think we did a great, like that is my, not perfect obviously but i will die feeling successful because we've raised two very confident kind self-sufficient that's cool. amazing humans that's wonderful, and that's all that matters that's, that's cool. wonderful
1: mm-hmm. um so they're 23 your daughter's 23 how old your son 26 okay so looking forward to at some point relatively soon becoming grandparents
2: I don't know. That's You're really pushing it, Sal. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready for that. Really? But then we, what, I'll tell you what. We're going to make a lot more money this year because we don't have two weddings to pay for. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Great. They both got married a month apart. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, wow. Yes. So that's wow, that's wild. wild. Yeah, it was. It was that's in the wild. air. Huh? Are yeah. they, do they live nearby? Do you guys see each um, other a lot? Or? They. Our son travels uh, around, and uh, he just bought a place in Park City oh cool yeah he and his wife taylor and my daughter sierra and her husband roman live in southern california they live in la oh awesome. yeah. yeah yeah if we were to ask
1: them what if i were to talk to your kids and say what, what did you learn what are some of the best things you learned from mom and from dad what do you think they would say
2: um i think they would talk about our relationship okay you know i think they would say that they knew that we were really into each other and we were a team i think they would both uh, say because we've asked them you know every year whenever there's a holiday we all go around the table and you know compliment each other mm-hmm. and um say the things that we love that's nice and and i've also had my kids on the podcast without me there and just let them sit and talk oh, really i didn't know it's pretty interesting um and about what their experiences were and, and so it's and I highly recommend that even when they're, as soon as they're yeah. old enough, like let them do that. It's such a cool thing because we've done it over the years, a couple different times and just to get their perspective, mm. but it's consistent and it's very affirming, you know, to know that like the things that we did with intention, they picked up on it. They, they knew that we made them number one. And um, how long have you guys been married? Uh, 28 years. Okay. So we got to talk about
1: how to have a successful marriage for yeah. that long, because mm. that's, hard i mean you're not the same person today that you were when you first got married right how did you guys grow together and get through all those tough times through you know when your kids were infants and then toddlers and then teenagers and businesses
2: like yeah any
1: advice for people listening right now who are just getting married yeah go to therapy you
2: know i mean I, i know i keep saying that but like my husband had never been to therapy um and uh, when, I, I always felt like when we were first married, I was on eggshells with him. Like I was really trying to manage his uh, mood. Hmm. He wasn't, he would never yell, but I could just say, you know, you can tell when someone's sure. annoyed. Well, he's moody and, like me. <laughs> <laughs> they, he call me all like that. they call me moody. The okay. moody one out of everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And I'm as even as they come. Really? And uh, so I always sensed that there was like something and I was constantly saying like, is something wrong? What's wrong? And he would be like, I'd ask it so much that he would say, just you asking that, like if you would stop. Sure. Yeah. Um, but he uh, eventually like, I think it was a struggle dealing with the gambling and his own issues from his childhood and uh so when the gambling thing happened we were almost a half a million dollars in debt oh when I discovered gosh. it yeah You hit half a million
3: Wow wow Wow, yeah. you make me feel better about my issue. That makes me feel a lot better. Yeah.
2: And there yeah. was, I thought he was cheating. So I, I was like, oh, I'm going into PI mode and you don't, like I'm better than the was FBI. It how, did, how
3: did you let a half a million go out the back door? Good
2: question. Because I don't care about money. Obviously people, not. I mean, right?
3: that's a, to me, that would be the testament. If anyone ever asks, like, or thinks that you're
2: money all yeah. about money, you'd yeah. be yeah. like, no, listen, I let a half a million right. go out the back door. Was it a relief
1: no. to know that it wasn't cheating,
2: that it was that? Oh, Yeah. yeah. But it also then felt like cheating right. because mm. cause then I had to put the pe like, when did this start? So when you t- said this trip, when you were going here, oh. when you did that, when we had to, when, and, you know, so it was like piecing all these things together and realizing like, oh, I didn't even know who you were. And I thought we we're on the same team and, and this resentment. And, and then, you know, me feeling very like, oh, you have an addiction and you have been gambling and you are going to mm-hmm. go to, so I did all of my research and was ready to confront him. Mm-hmm. And I had my folder with all the receipts and um, uh, bank statements and phone records and you know cell phone records, Damn. everything. And I just <laughs> sat him down and I put the envelope or the folder in front of him. And he was like... Oh, like a relief. Yeah, and that really made me mad. But he was relieved and he was like, it's over you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's over. Mm -hmm. Like, in my mind, I, I knew before I confronted him, I made a decision, I know who I am. So if he says this, I do this. If he says no, I do this. If he says yes, I like I had my three options. Mm -hmm. And I knew what I was going to do. And he chose to go into treatment. And I decided to stay. But what we didn't realize was that I really had an addiction too. Mm. And so he was like, you know, my therapist thinks you should go to therapy. I'm like, okay. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I'm gonna kill it.
2: I'm about to, to <laughs> be their best patient ever. They're gonna be like, why are you here? Like, so you're basically a hardworking work- woman. You're like, you know. And then, you know, to find out that I had my own mm. addiction and uh, it was deep, you know, it mm. was, and and it was a way to avoid it's any addiction is to avoid, I, you know, I've,
1: I've um, I have friends that have been married for a long time and family members and almost all of them went through some kind of uh, a challenge like this, maybe yes. not gambling, maybe not cheating, but something, something. that where it was like oh. right yeah. at a crossroads yeah. and the ones that worked through it yes. came out the other end way stronger oh. and tighter. Talk mm-hmm. about that because There may be someone listening right now that's going through this, and they're like, "I don't know if we're going to make it. Like, I don't, you know, do I work through this? Like, we have kids together. Do I? What do I do?"
2: And to fast forward the story, I want to say that it it, we are in 2.0. Like, it probably took a couple years, though. Wasn't there's months and months of like, "Am I staying? Am I going? Do I try?" Like, having to rebuild. But um, almost immediately, I was married to a different person. I was married to the person I thought he had the potential to be, you mm. know, and then he was, he was a different person. He was funny. He was relaxed. His mood was even, he was patient. He was kinder everything. I'm like, then this was worth it. Mm. But I will say for those who are like in it, if one party isn't remorseful and wants to fix it, if both parties don't want to fix it, it's probably not going to work. Yeah. yeah.
3: So I imagine, you know, something like gambling is kind of a Rip the bandaid off. It's an obvious problem. It's not a positive thing. I would think that yours was harder and took longer because yeah, it's, it's easy to justify.
5: Yeah.
3: Um. You know. Hey, I'm bringing money in, and we're. And I'm, yeah. I'm good. This is all good. So, how did you? How did it take you much longer? And what was that journey like?
2: I think I probably still struggle with it. Where he doesn't struggle with gambling, um, I, I I still struggle with it. But I think what really helped was getting to the root, core belief that made me feel like I always had to work. And what what was that experience that made me uh, believe that? What created that belief? What yeah,
1: if it? it's not money, what is it? What was the belief?
2: Oh, it was why. So I've, I did EMDR therapy. Have you ever heard of that? Oh my God, I'm
1: about to do that. Dude. Yeah. So Pew. legit, huh? Oh, yeah. what, what is that? Dude? I'm yeah, about to go through it. that.
2: It rewires your brain. Yeah, it stands for eye movement reprocessing desensitization. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do... I'm, I'm not a therapist, but this is the layman's way of describing it. They'll ask you to bring up something that's upsetting that, you know, makes you feel on a scale of one to 10, maybe like a nine. And then you don't talk about it, but just sit there and think about it, Sal. Just mm-hmm. sit there and think about it until you bring up those feelings. And then they have you watch maybe their finger going back and forth or a light bar, a bunch of different things. And there's something about that uh, that doesn't allow your brain to push it away. So you kind of go back to the memory and you start working through it mm. and it feels like a dream sequence and you're like, I'm not doing this right because now I'm thinking about that my kid has to be picked up. You know what I mean? Like mm. your brain goes everywhere, like in a dream. And then, but what's happening is you've never really processed that thing as an adult. You have pushed it away as mm-hmm. a kid mm-hmm. and it just sat there and now you're an adult. So you're going to kind of relit, not relive it, but you just kind of put the files where they need to be. And Interesting. I'm- so, so for me- i uh they just basically got to the root core of like why do i feel like i i'm important if i'm making other people money or making money and working Mm -hmm. hard right and i remembered a time when my my dad was an entrepreneur he was a liquidator in detroit so there's my detroit necklace so Mm -hmm. he uh would liquidate big chains when they would start to fail Mm -hmm. right so he got this big deal it was called Robert Hall's, it's like a department store. And he and my mom took all their money and invested it into this bankruptcy deal. They got the deal, but it's in Detroit where it was very cutthroat, like the mob basically. Oh, wow. And so they got all of the assets, they're all put into one building in downtown Detroit. And that night someone set it on fire. So they were wiped out mm. completely. And my dad called me into his office the next maybe a week or so. And he sat me down and, um, in an effort to teach me about um, interest. He said, here's your bank book. I don't even know how much money was in it. And he said, now, you know, your mom and I had the fire and we're gonna be fine. Uh, But what we're gonna do is borrow this money and we're gonna pay you back more. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, and you know, we're gonna pay it back by this date and you want to show me the schedule of payments. And it was him teaching me, and this is how you just never know your kids are gonna process things. The message I received was, I'm a kid and I'm taking care of everything. You're parentified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know from the I was I don't know maybe 4th or 5th grade but I never asked for a dollar. I didn't ask for lunch money. I didn't ask for, you know, from that point on I'm like this is why I'm important. Yeah. I am saving people. Hmm. So it was having to like reprocess that and go like he was just I didn't I didn't even remember that it happened. Oh really? No, no. Until I did EMDR.
1: Oh wow, it's wild. Yeah. Now, is, is, when you're doing that, is it like hard? Do you, and then afterwards, do you feel like shit? Like... You feel exhausted. Oh wow.
2: You don't. You process it and keep going. So it's completely different from talk therapy, where you're like, I feel better after I left, but then it comes back. With EMDR, it is there's a beginning, middle, and end, and it goes like that thing that triggers you no longer triggers you. And I've done it for so many things now. It's really, you can do it for performance. Like you're like, yeah. maybe are afraid to fly or public yeah. speaking, you can, it'll it'll be gone forever. Yeah, wow.
1: I, I, I agree with what you said about with therapy because uh, I am I was very like, no, I don't talk to anybody. I handle my own stuff or whatever. Yeah. Uh, my wife's very pro, like talk and communicate. Yeah. And um, I, in my opinion, the reason why it's so valuable is because um, y- you don't know where to look you don't know what to mm-hmm. talk about necessarily. So then you sit down and you're forced to talk to someone, they're an expert. And then next thing you know, you're looking where you didn't didn't know to look. or, yeah. or And so then that, and you just grow. You just become- They
2: connect the dots for you. Yeah. Well, or, or you connect them just by at them asking some great questions. Right. And the eye movement thing is a trip, especially for people like, I don't want to talk about it. You really don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Your brain just does these trippy things. It's, Weird. It's, it's also wild. a
3: great way to- accelerate growth in the self-awareness department, which I think is the greatest skill that you could ever develop. I mean, so I, mean, I, I think I was blessed that I was in and out of therapy my whole life. Mm. And so I got to, you know, learn all that stuff early on. And, and so I'm super pro that. So I think that's incredible. So I have a question, then a uh, selfish question related to money since we're uh, around that. So what has your journey and relationship with money been like from all the way childhood yeah, to kind of where you're at now. And do you believe you're still evolving and changing that way? Or do you think you've kind of found?
2: Money for me is just energy. Um, and I, so I never worry about it. Was I it always me- like that?
5: Yeah. Okay.
2: And I, I, I just, the way that you said, I will figure things out. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to hustle and figure things out. I, I never worry about what's next ever. I don't have a five-year plan. Mm. It's, um, I, I know I will make enough money to live the life that I want to live. That that once you make your first million, everything after that is easy because mm. you it's make figuring out know how to make your first million that's hard, right? I agree. Then after that, you're like, there's so many ways, and you just want to sh- tell everybody like there's all these different ways. Just be stick to one, focus. Mm. And um, today, I money is like we worked with this business coach a couple years ago, and she was so annoyed that I wouldn't give her. A number, a dollar amount, or yeah, something. <laughs> that we want to achieve. I'm like, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. And she's like, this, if, this just won't work unless you give me this number. I'm like, I don't have a number. It's like, I, I, I'm comfortable. It's energy. There's always more coming to me. There will always be enough. And I, that's it.
3: I just so I'm in this uh, like mastermind type of group where you get invited in, and it, uh, I'm I'm like a small fish in a big pond. And one of the things we all go around, and everybody wants to know about like the businesses and the money you make and what do you want with that? And everyone was so frustrated that I didn't have this like end goal because I was like, you know, I'm just, I'm at such a really cool place that I get to work with three of my best friends, building something amazing. It fulfills me. We all make plenty of money to do whatever we want. And, you know, I don't know if I want to sell. I don't know if I want to t- right. necessarily... And I know, and I've already learned that, you know, I could go make more money doing this or another thing here, but if it takes time away from my son and my wife and the Thank things you. I love to do, then I don't really want to do it. So, yeah, I'm not sure why I'm here. I actually just want to meet other successful people. And, yeah. <laughs> and everybody was like, what? Because oh, everybody I, had this, yeah, like, the plan. The 100, like, I'm like, here like hundred million. Yeah, yeah. I want to exit at this, and I want to sell it for that. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: what they don't ever ask is, are you willing to make the sacrifices, you know, like, Mm. do do you know, like vision boards or whatever goal setting? So much of it is centered around a dollar amount and Mm -hmm. um, things, right? And so then, but, but at what cost? And so that's why I'm not going to set an amount because I don't know the, I'll evaluate the costs as I'm starting to experience such a great one hundred percent.
1: People look at Elon Musk and be like, wow, a billionaire. Do you really want to be Elon Musk? Yeah. Do you really want to be tormented like he is? And, you know, have maybe no relationship with your kids? Like, like, do you really want that? We I don't do this, think
3: anybody does. we do the same thing with like professional athletes. Uh, when you were talking about the abs thing, the first thing that comes to mind too is like the the way we glorify professional athletes. and it's like, do you do you know what it takes to be Steph Curry? Do you know the amount of like sacrifice that guy has to and the amount of focus on his game to to be that? Like
2: and talk about having an identity that is like that is your identity and that but it's going to come to an end. Right so now, what are you and who are? you? Yes, mm-hmm. man, athletes really struggle with that once they're out tortured. of tortured. the pros torture yeah, yeah yeah once you're no longer
1: the you know the superhuman athlete because you get you know you get older like, yeah who are you yeah yeah and that's tough our good friend arthur brooks wrote a great book do you know who arthur brooks is no the oh, name oh you would love yeah, him yes you would. he is one of my favorite people in the whole okay. world but he wrote a book about this and he says that because if you look at a chart of people when they're successful and they retire there's this diverging line where some people become sadder more depressed other people become happier the difference is that the doers that become happier after they retire become teachers. Oh. So it's like I do, 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 now I retire, now I teach others. Yes. To do what I did. So fulfilling. That's where they, that's where they get the full. Do you feel like
2: you're teaching? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Every day. Is it the yeah. coolest thing? Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting
3: that. that you said your favorite part of your business was the podcast because I think that's what, I don't think that's we've all we'll agreed we that if we were to sell other legs off or yeah, not cash out, this part of this, this part this, of it yeah. is the part that we would do for free. Yeah. So it's like, it's, we really enjoy it. our sponsors the, hear
2: that <laughs> 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 And what a gift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's such a cool medium. Absolutely. You know what the best part is? What? we
1: get to meet people like you. Oh, thank you. I get this wonderful excuse to invite people in that I normally wouldn't mean. Literally. It's the
2: coolest thing in the world. It's so awesome. And I was so pumped up to be here. I can't even tell you because, because I, I love your vibe and the realness and, um, that to me gives me energy. It just sucks the lifeblood out of me when I'm, Talk, doing an interview with someone who I know—it's like, oh, this is so dumb and this is so fake, and oh, I hate it. Like, just shoot me. And that's why I love doing solo interviews on on my podcast. I solo interviews, that's interviewing solo. myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love just talking. Um, but and the interviews are tough, you know, unless I get someone who can really just have a conversation. Our yeah, I mean,
1: interviews perform worse for us than our, our Before episodes. you walked oh, in, her man. and I were talking yeah. about this. And so yeah. now Same. we only interview people who are interested in talking. So I, yeah. I
2: won't take it personally if it doesn't well. No, do I think
1: well, you're going to cry. Shit, no for way, for sure. sure. Yeah, you have a much, you have do you, much uh, anybody, uh,
3: anybody that you've interviewed that uh, changed your mind, blew your mind, or that you really like fell in love with afterwards? Like I, I always loved, like he brought up Arthur Brooks, someone I had no idea really about him other than his documentary on Netflix. Like, fell in love with that guy after we met him would have never yeah. thought so have you have you had guests like that where I've you...
2: had a, I can't think of like going all the way back right now but, but the most recent one was like Jen Cohen yeah, oh, she's, yeah. you know
1: she's got that effect
2: yeah she was just real yeah. really mm-hmm. appreciated that mm-hmm. um, and there have been some people who are just like when they're super real and I think it's oh it's another book interview you know what I mean mm, yeah. like that drives me crazy and now I just don't even take pitches it's like if I find the person really interesting and I don't care if they have a zero following like I found this gal on YouTube who had like I don't know a hundred subscribers but she was talking about being an adult child of an alcoholic and i'm like Mm -hmm. i just love the way she talked about it and i'm like i gotta have her like i like looking for people who are interesting and real because you learn in this medium the person the bigger the name is you invite them in it's just a little bit more hassle Mm -hmm. and they're they're not going to promote it
5: yeah for Mm -hmm.
2: sure yeah and people have seen them on every other especially when it's a book Okay, now you're on 19 podcasts the, same, the same week. Book. Yes, yes the same, same, same like, conversation. I won't do it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <I> won't <laughs> we do feel it. the same. Yep.
2: Well, this has been awesome. Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah, 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 I really appreciate you awesome. guys Such a coming treat for down. Me. It's yeah. been
1: super great. Keep doing Such what an you're honor. doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Honor for us, for sure. So thanks for coming on. Thank you.
2: Absolutely, thanks.
1: Thank
0: you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com.